Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America, sitting atop the transmission tower of truth, taking down hypocrisy one lie at a time. In your ladies' corner, my trolls call me Moscow Mary or far-right Farron. But I'm neither. I'm your pierogi princess and journalist extraordinaire, Farron Franzak. And in the left corner, I'm your indefatigable, your ever-vigilant, your last man on the wall, your political analyst, Jamaral Thomas. Which means you're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Franzak. What's up, Franzak? Not too much. Not too much. How about you? So far, so good. Can't complain. You had a decent night last night? Yeah, so far. I mean, gee. <laughs> what did I watch last night? Oh, I watched the CBS documentary. Uh, Zelensky. Zelensky. Like you said, you were doing it so everywhere. we didn't have to. Yeah. Yeah. I watched it as Dan Abrams. I watched it so you didn't have to. So what did you think? Were you mind blown um, at how heroic this great man is? Or did you have other... The, the biggest, the biggest jaw drop for me was when they said that Putin has been attacking the people of Ukraine since 2014. That's astonishing. That's astonishing. Everybody, you're already like halfway drunk. We were playing a drinking game. Every time Jamar oh, says right. astonishing, <laughs> right. you have to drink. Right, I forgot about that. Yeah, every and, time I say astonishing. And we've also it. noticed too, because I, you know, on my channel, we replayed the, at the episode uh, of the morning yeah. at, at six, so that those that missed it in the morning on the West Coast particularly, and they also the same thing. For the past four episodes, you've brought up random sex every single time. You no, said, I haven't. Yeah, yeah, yes. They've counted. Trust me, the fans do not lie. They're like, he always brings up. That is but it, not. But it's like, a, it's like a weird, like, where you'd be like, oh, like having random sex with somebody. No, I know what it was. So in having the conversation about, I know what it was. And it's not every show. It's no, very it's, specific. it's been the past four shows. So it's been, and everyone was like, what's on Jamarl's mind? Does there's he want to have random sex I didn't with say somebody? anything like that in the last show. Nope. Yep, it was. Trust me. And they they went back every single time. And I got to see the segment. I, I do know. No, no, no from... it's, it's the past four episodes. And it's not like you've, you've like brought it up like as a segment to talk about, like, let's talk about random sex. Yeah. You just bring it up as like an example, like, oh, yeah, so let's go random sex with somebody and then you're going to do this. I do remember bringing it up in the context of just an average person going about their life. And yep. it's like. And it's for the last four episodes. There's no way I put that <laughs> yeah. up. I didn't break that up the last episode. I swear I didn't break that up the last trust episode. Me, the fans, they go back and they get the receipts and everything. I need to see the receipt on the last one. But I do remember on maybe yeah, two I have the receipt on the last four episodes. I need to see the last one. Like the first like minute and a half in. There's no, <laughs> there's no way. Uh, I remember the, in the first minute and a half in. After the headlines and all that, it's like yeah. the first minute and a half in. We were having a conversation about the woman way, from. You brought it up a lot. I don't remember. <laughs> like, I swear to. I think I think tomorrow's speaking about what he wants to do. No, I, like, I swear hey, to God, I don't remember don't this. I remember this know. in the context of the conversation about random, like average person going through their life. That I remember that line of How conversation. People don't have random sex. You'd be surprised. Duh, I think you'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd. I gotta be pay attention to that. Surprised. I gotta be honest. I have no memory of that the last episode, and I don't remember of it the previous episode. I do remember it in the context of the average person. Like, definitely yeah. not that. But that was kind of the it's premise. Not, it's like, not that they're dogging on you, but they're like, he says random sex a lot, and then somebody went back and got the receipts for the last four episodes. I gotta see the last where one. Where you've mentioned it, like, just once. I it's not, like a, it's not like a long thing that you keep, you know, but yeah. it's just like you say, somebody that has random sex with somebody going out, having a drink, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, goes yeah, yeah. out. Goes, I mean, that is the motif. I mean, that's kind of the right. line of logic where it goes in regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People yeah, just don't parts. know why you throw in the random sex part. I think I'm trying to make this point that the way that people basically live their life, they're just living their life. And all of those things are part of a life, whether it's that's about sex or something else. And so it's like, 
Is this really what you care about in the context of the things that you have that fills your life? It's that Again, line. I think you'd be surprised at the amount of people having random sex. And random. It's a lot lower than you think. I don't mean <laughs> random in the sense of you just meet somebody at Starbucks. And, you know, well, I don't mean it like that's that. That's what random sex is, sir. Okay, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. But you I don't mean it like that. You at the music store. <laughs> and you just go home and randomly have sex with them. That's no, what most no. people would define as random sex. That's not the way I think about it. I, for me, it's typically friends first. In fact, I don't think I've ever messed with somebody that okay, wasn't friends first. Okay, here we go. Well, you, I didn't bring this up. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just was making a point. We don't have to go into I so Jamaro's, didn't bring this up. Jamaro's <laughs> confessional hour. We're, we're going to just stick with the national news. <laughs> Thank you. But I need to see the receipt on the left. I remember that. I have four receipts from the four last receipts. four episodes, yes. And again, where it's just mentioned once. Yeah. But in your national news... According to the latest CBS YouGov poll, U.S. President Joe Biden's popularity has dipped to its lowest point. Really? Sounds about right. As just 42% of Americans approved his performance on the job, a number that is one point down from March. The poll shows inflation is causing the most discontent. 69% of respondents said they disapprove of the president's response to it. This as inflation hit 7.9% last February, with the White House urging folks to brace for even higher numbers. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, a Republican from California, is refusing to throw support behind his GOP colleagues' calls for articles of impeachment to be brought against U.S. President Joe Biden. This following up a clip from Republican Rep. uh, Greg Murphy of North Carolina, He argued that U.S. lawmakers' hesitance to form a united front on the introduction of impeachment articles stemmed from a lack of confidence in U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris. Mm. In your international news, the neo-fascist Azov Battalion has accused the Russian armed forces of using, quote, chemical weapons in the port city of Mariupol Monday. However, the mayor of Mariupol reported that the claim was still unconfirmed. He added that they would investigate the scene before making a conclusion. The Standing Committee of the National People's Congress, a body that meets in lieu of a full session of the full legislative body, included in its agenda for next week's session, reviewing ratification of the 1930 Forced Labor Convention and the 1957 Abolition of Forced Labor Convention, according to Xinhua News. The two conventions banned most forms of compulsory labor with the 1957 agreement amending the 1930 convention by barring forced labor as punishment for strikes and for holding certain political views. They are part of the UN-affiliated International Labor Organization's eight core conventions, which also include abolition of child labor and protection for the right of workers to collectively bargain with their employer. Hmm. Interesting. The German defense company, um, uh, Rheinmetall's CEO, spoke on the possible delivery of 50 Leopard 1 tanks to Ukraine, saying that the political will is needed to make that happen. According to the report, the first shipment of the tanks could be on their way to Ukraine within six weeks of the transfer being approved, and the Ukrainian military would receive all of them in three months. Hmm. In your business and tech news, billionaire entrepreneur Elon Musk announced he would not be joining the board of directors of Twitter, but said he could work with the company on a variety of issues, quote, without limitations. According to the amended filing of the SEC filing, um, Musk 
would be able to discuss the company's product and services, potential mergers and governance issues with Twitter's border of border elements of its management team. The document said that the Tesla CEO can voice his opinions through social media or other channels with respect to the issuer's business, products, and service offerings. And U.S. President Joe Biden will unveil plans to combat spiking costs of gas later in the day. According to recent reports, the Washington plans to extend the availability of higher biofuel blended gasoline in a bid to ease the situation on the American fuel market and the same time to cut reliance on foreign energy sources. In your pop culture news, Britney Spears confirmed Monday that she's expecting her third child with her new husband, Sam Ashgari. It remains unclear whether Spears and Ashgari have officially wed. However, the pop singer does refer to him as such. Spears made the revelation in an Instagram post detailing that the pair made the discovery shortly after the pop icon noticed a slight weight change with her body. Crazy. <laughs> we'll get Jamaro's thoughts on that after. <laughs> yeah, not touching but that. that. That's not random sex. <laughs> San Francisco police, uh, your crazy story. San Francisco police were in for a treat when their officers stopped a driverless vehicle that decided to flee the scene after stopping. In a video shared on social media, the driverless car can be seen driving away from police after previously stopping along the side of the road. According to the San Francisco police, the driverless car headlights were not on, despite it being the night hours. An officer could be heard saying, there's nobody in it. But a few seconds later, after the officer walks back to his police car, the autonomous vehicle, perhaps deciding that the traffic stop was over, tries to drive away before pulling over to a stop a few hundred feet away. Wow. Your holidays today, National Licorice Day, National Grilled Cheese Sandwich Day, International Be Kind to Lawyers Day. I'll remember that to half my family today. Equal Pay Day and National Only Child Day. It's Jamaro's Day. Jill Biden starfish clap. Today in history, back in 1981, NASA launched the first space shuttle Columbia to orbit Earth. Also in 81, the all-time great boxer Joe Lewis passed away at 66. In 83, Harold Washington was elected as the first African-American mayor of Chicago. Yeah, my cousin was married at the Harold Washington Library. Big library named after him. Very cool, very cool. 61, Russian cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin became the first human to orbit space, which means it's my sister's cat's birthday. Wow. Because she named it the day that he blasted up into space. How weird is He's that? He's a Russian blue cat. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's why. That's why. Yep. That's or why. now a Ukrainian blue cat. Yeah. In 1945, um, Pre- President, F- President FDR passed away at 63. And in 1892, a patent for the typewriter was issued in the United States. Those are your headlines for Tuesday, April 12, 2022. Well. Britney Spears is prego. Wow. That is rough, man. Have you I, seen her Instagram, guys? I apparently it's she it, she kind is kind of amazing. <laughs> I have heard people say she is not rat tight. And look, this is one of those things, right? There are consequences. And so it's like, I don't want to be part of conservatorship. Everybody gets behind and says, free Britney or leave Britney alone. Yeah, all little people for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she gets under the conservatorship. Here's another baby. And like you say, the Instagram posts, she seems to be wigging out a bit. Um Well, no, this was this was um at least all the ones when she was under the conservatorship, she was weird. And they said that she was very cryptic in her messaging. And yeah. that's why she was doing all this weird stuff. Uh-huh. But 
We all thought that that would kind of stop. Not too much. And it hasn't really. Basically, that was just her. I think I think part of it, though, she kind of likes the shock value of it. Yeah. But, but I mean, she's 41, I believe. She has some age on her. I mean, like, yeah. it, it's... Dealing with Spears is very weird to me. Because I remember when she came out, she was 16 years old. And she was doing these sexually explicit dance moves. And people were like, oh, my God, she's 16. Actually, when she she's... first came on the scene, she was 14. Oh, that's even worse. That's even worse. And so it's like very explicit dance moves. Oops, I did it again. Did what again? Um, like, um, how was, about her first music video was in a, uh, a school room. kinky little Catholic yes. schoolgirl outfit? Yes. Yeah. I in know school. that because I went to Catholic school and we all were like, oh, my God. Yeah. God, Jesus would be so angry. <laughs> Jesus is rolling in his grave yeah. over this. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just like that was always weird to me. I mean, even this kind of college sex stuff like Vampire Diaries where you would have these teenagers messing around with 200-year-old people. I guess the Britney Spears Well, have you seen the new show that everyone's, that all the kids are talking about called Euphoria on Netflix? Yes. I I haven't watched it. The first season was pretty good. But um, I actually was talking to Scotty Nell Hughes last night. It's intense, though. But she was the one that first alerted me to it because she's on it with her kids. Yeah. And she's like, this is what all the kids are watching, and it's with Zendaya. Yeah. And it's where they are like drug addicts and they're doing sex Drugs, work. Sex, and the works. Yeah. And she's like, oh my God. I mean, honestly, it depends on how you want to, do you want to represent reality as it is or do you want to represent reality in the kind of Walton's way? I guess it's that question. And to make it even more complicated, by giving television in the way that it is, does it incentivize it to be that Well, that's more? kind of like what this whole like, um, you know, not the don't say gay bill, but what they're talking about. Like oh, now the big word that's coming out of the right. And again, it's not that I'm far right Farron. Far right Farron. Yeah, far right Farron. <laughs> it's I, I watch what they say. And now the big word is grooming with everything. Grooming. And now they're saying you know, they don't want Get out of here. that they're showing that these kids, they're showing kids these these books about gender and stuff at a very young age. And a lot of it, I don't know what to believe because some of it, I understand parents get very, um, especially people in my generation, you know, because I'm in that generation where people have young kids and whatnot. I'm 35. And, you know, they're very into what their child is learning. And um, and there's a lot of parents that are, they're teaching my children about transgenders and all of this. And they're talking about if they feel like this in their brain, but their body part's different. And I'm like, I am not in school, but um, I, I nannied for kids yep. that were 8 and 10. And I'm not going to lie. When you just talk to them like adults, they, they get it. Yeah. Like there was this one kid, for example, who um, I will never forget this. He was like <laughs> one little boy, Brady. He's like, yeah. He's like, did you hear? He's like, Cooper called, called this girl a hoe. And I was like, oh, where's Cooper? And so I'm like, Cooper, where'd you hear that from? He's like, oh, I heard it from my older brother. And I was like, do you know what that means? And he was like, no. And I was like, it means it's a it's very derogatory, but a girl, do you know what a derogatory means? And he's like, yeah, I know what derogatory means. And I was like, yeah, it means a girl that kisses a lot of boys. That's not something nice to do yeah. and not nice to say. And he kind of like got it. But it was like, they hear these words and they think, oh, okay, whatever. But um, but yeah, that's like the latest thing that I'm seeing that parents are getting really because remember before it was all the COVID restrictions at the school boards and stuff. Now it's all critical race. Then it, no, then it was critical race theory. Now it's this grooming. It's like the grooming thing is disgusting in the way that they're using it. Usually, grooming is talking about an older person um, grooming a younger child for sex later on. That's usually the way that's meant. It's like you know, this older adult is dealing with this 13 year old. 
and is trying to get the 13-year-old to the point where they are basically hooking up in a relationship going forward. And mind you, you can groom kids to be Republican and Democrat, by the way, too. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, just the way the <laughs> kid is raised. You can groom their thoughts. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would, by definition, I would say all parents groom their kids right. in implicit mm-hmm. and explicit ways. I guess my thing is, like, look, if there's a thing of the homosexuality or the homosexual community being in the closet, as I used to say. Yeah. And so there's this big thing now about being seen. And look, fair enough, right? I mean, all things being equal, you want to be able to see yourself reflected in society just like everybody else is reflected in society. Um, the groomy thing is gross. It's just in the way that they're using the phraseology. They know the phraseology and what that means. Oh, yeah. And they're using it to apply to the LGBTQ community. Yeah, that's disgusting in the way that they're doing that. And what's so interesting, too, is I can't remember what person said it. And I'm not saying I agree with it. I would want to look at the studies on it. But they were saying when you look at the amount of GMOs that's in our food right. and like all of the chemicals that's in our food. Could be having an effect on biology and, that, and stuff and like how that. how long yeah. we've had this gone on with our with our bodies and, and food and then it's passed on to your kids. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it is like, oh, you know, it's just before we didn't recognize gay so young. Yeah. You know, it's only been since the 80s. But then there's times where I'm like, I don't know. I see kids changing an awful lot. And yeah. Maybe it has something to do with that. Maybe it's just people are more open. I don't know. But either way, I just don't like these weird, like, uh, like, again, like you had this whole critical race theory. And I was like, what's wrong with learning about the United States kind Nothing. of being an imperialist country? Nothing. What's wrong with that? Nothing at all. Is oh, being, you mean they want to learn? They're going to learn the truth? They're going to learn actual history? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a culture war stuff. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like you have various people who are in various parts of the country and they need to come up with a conflict, for lack of a better word. And right. culture war is one of those things where it easily feeds into it. You don't have to get anything done policy-wise from the standpoint of economics, so you're yep. not hitting your base. And whether that's Democrat or Republican, it's one of those easy things of, I'm going to smear my opponent with this particular position that this particular part of the political spectrum doesn't like very much. And shift your focus from the high gas exactly. prices. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, let's pay no attention. I mean, I think... Yeah, don't pay no attention to your high gas prices. What are they teaching your kids in school? Same thing with Katanji Brown, by the way. I think same way. I mean, in the same way Republicans will pull it up, why did Joe Biden, I mean, I, my argument was he basically had a short list um, for the African American, almost like grading on a curve for bringing her in. And it's like, is that really, to me, I consider it on some level degrading um, to use race in that way. Because it's one thing of saying- Especially you as a black person. Yes. <laughs> because it's almost like saying we had to grade on a curve in order to get this black woman in this office, as opposed to out of all the people that we found- she just so happened to be the best person, and she just so happens to be black. There's a difference in those things. And there so it's is. like, whether these guys are using critical race theories, like, oh, we need to talk about this, you know, greatly. They're teaching our kids about, I don't know, slavery and the effects and the um, economic and cultural effects of slavery have as civilization move forward. We hate that. Oh, you well, mean it's going to be too much for kids to learn that the UK and the United States were like the biggest... Yes. Purveyors of slavery. Yes, Farron. It would be yeah. far too much for them to, <laughs> to learn that. Man. Especially to learn it in detail. And not just detail. The structural consequences going forward. Time has no breaks in it. Like, it's not a situation where at some point, okay, we've paused on our time. It's not that. Those things have real um, physical effects today. Economic effects, cultural effects. All of that stuff is still through. You know what I think a lot of it is, too? Is you're seeing, kids are seeing all these protests today, like you're, your BLM protests with George Floyd. They're seeing, you know, protests against mandates, protests against masks, whatever. Kids are seeing protests more and more and more and how the government is reacting to a lot of it. 
And it literally is putting a face to the government when you think when they're, for example, learning about the civil rights era. Yeah. Except. Oh, that's an interesting you know point. I mean? Really except interesting now, point. Now, you can it's, see like, hey, it's just like this, except back then they were a lot worse where they were using hoses against people Bet. or sicking police dogs on black people like Joe Lewis and all of them down in Selma. And it's like, yeah, it was actually a lot worse. And I think it's where these kids would learn, okay, wait a minute, I'm seeing it today. It's happened that long ago. What have we learned anything? And that's where I think that people might get a little bit, you know, a little bit uh, sensitive because we haven't. Yeah. What have we, what have we've changed? Except now, instead of having police cars control riots, we have MRAPs and tanks. Police departments have tanks now, you know, and it's, it's gotten ultimately worse. Daniel Lazar would eat this up. Mm-hmm. He would eat this up. Because, you know, his thing and is— who would have thought far-right Farron would have said this? <laughs> I know, right? Daniel Lazar, his point would be, you didn't need that stuff at the time because you could basically— there was more integration in regards to, let's say, economics. It's, at the very least, one side of the population, let's say it that way. Um, also, you had a better control of the narrative going forward. I mean, now you look at radio, you look at television, YouTube, you have all of these points of views that basically clash. So this ability for the government to just keep people within these two guide rails pretty much goes away. And your world gets darker. I mean, you have that much more stress on your society. And with that stress on your society, the state responds to it. Um, in this case, you have this militaristic society, which, again, like you said, MRAPs and all this stuff. This stuff is coming back from wars that we were yeah. basically fighting in. And so it's like we use that to police other populations and we bring it back to police our own. And, yeah, that stuff, I mean— I, mean, I remember studying the history. Vietnam War. We never learned about Agent Orange in the history books. Really? <laughs> we never learned about May. I got to be um, honest. The overwhelming, <laughs> the overwhelming majority of stuff I learned was outside of school. Yeah, and see, from what I remember, but also I was a pretty active kid because I went straight from school to dance. So it was like, I, and also there was no YouTube. So yeah. it wasn't like kids. That's the other thing is, is kids nowadays, more and more and more, I'm seeing... Oh, I watched a documentary on it. Yeah. I watched a documentary on it. And look, anything and they now want, you're getting, oh, just the documentary is one-sided. And it's like, okay, so they learned another side, though. Yeah. What's the big deal? That's a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's a good thing. It gives them more information and context. Not to mention anything they want to find on their cell phone. Mm-hmm. So it's like all of that stuff is just available in a way that it wasn't available. Like, I remember being in college, and we were just getting email. Yeah, I, when college. I went to college, it was, Facebook had been around for one year, and you had to have... A dot edu email in order wow. to get on it. Wow. So. Yeah. I remember because like, what is this newfangled thing called emails? What do you mean? And it's like, you could send Michelle, stuff. when is internet? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> what is that again? Mm-hmm. And I mean, at the time, I think it was the Netflix Internet Explorer Wars. It was those browser fights. Yep. Yeah, man. It, it's it's and radically I changed. the old Mac computers where they all were different colors. And yeah. I remember like my uber rich friends had the Macs. Yeah. And we had like the Dell. Yeah. And that was the first Dell or, Dell or Mac or Pretty PC much. or Mac. Pretty much. The, I, the good old days. Look, man, it has been a significant change in regards to the way information could be provided. And like even around the world. I mean, I know this stuff looks darker and maybe this is just kind of the process, right? Where you have to go through these kind of dark times before the world can bring itself and pull itself together. But any event that takes place anywhere around the world, any random kid will have access to it. Like within a minute of it happening. And that, on some level, has to draw you together, right? I mean, just this bearing witness to something that's taking place, even if you're not there, even if it's something that's taking place 1,000, 2,000 miles away, you feel on some level that you're a part of the conflict. It's very strange, very weird. And I would imagine beforehand, the only source of information you were ever going to get was come from outside, meaning it would be your news media telling you, as opposed to you being able to see it yourself on your own phone. 
It's very, it's very wild. I mean, granted, that allows information warfare, of course, because at that point you're so um, far away from the thing that you're basically dealing with that the information that comes out can be um, spoofed. But I do think that it is, for some reason I want to say Brave New World, <laughs> but that might not necessarily be the right reference. I, but I remember, what was it, the big diagram where it's like 1984, Idiocracy, Brave New World, Hunger Games. Yeah. Or we're like somewhere in between all yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that. <laughs> you know, it's like there's some dystopian are. aspect of this um, that could get dramatically worse and hopefully at some and point. I, and never. I'm honestly interested when we're like 75 doing this show, um, <laughs> if we actually, we look back and we're like, remember that time in our 30s and 40s where we said we were in between all of that? No, now we really are. <laughs> right. You know, it's like how many times are we going to keep saying we've been in 1984? Because I even remember, you know, hearing that in the early 2012 yeah. with the Tea Party. Oh, this is 1984, and we can't do this, and they're going to try to cover and take your guns. I mean, you hear the same thing over and over and over every, like, 10 years. Yeah. These these things come back, but now they've gotten creative. Like, CRT, and you're like, what is CRT? Control, like, what is, is that what it says on my keyboard? No, critical race theory. And you're like, It's amazing how they whip that stuff out. Yeah, it's amazing how they distract from, you know, pay no attention to your economic matters. Deal with this thing that they're trying to teach your kids about gays or they're trying to teach your kids about history. That's yeah. your issue. That's your problem. That's the framing that you need to take with you on that stuff. Yeah, it's very weird. I mean, I think to me, it's more, um, it's gotten more disturbing. And mm-hmm. I remember having this conversation with some people where they would be like, dude, Google is a problem. Google is a problem. And it's like, yeah, man, but they're like, don't be evil. What's the issue? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then as time goes on, you can see the way in which our comments has been basically elected. I want to say electricized, that's not a word, but basically online, like our comments, our ability to speak, our ability to be heard, our ability, even our, how people perceive us externally, mm-hmm. more online now. So it's not like, hey, I know Bob who knew Ted, who knew so-and-so. It's, I saw that guy online, there's a bunch of articles putting a knife in him. It's that. Mm-hmm. Or it's, here's this guy online who, yeah, even though they killed a lot of people, the U.S. thinks he's a great statesman. Or that. Like, it's almost like the point Reputationdefender.com. Right. Not a sponsor, but <laughs> right. we'll take you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Like, uh, and not just that, this ability to shut people off when you don't necessarily want to hear what they say. Yeah. And so it's like these tech companies have a certain amount of power. That power gets used almost in place of the governmental power itself. So whereas governments say, okay, we have a first amendment. We can't really do anything about it. Oh, right. We don't need one. We'll work with these tech companies where we will press on them in order to get rid of this person mm-hmm. or that person or this opinion or that opinion or expose those opinions in other countries that we don't particularly like. It's wild stuff that is taking place. And look, we need to, as a society at some point, we're going to have to reconcile that. And if we don't, it will be to our detriment. So real quick, because you started with the Katanji Brown Jackson. Yes. And for those that didn't see Jamaral's rant, you can see it on his YouTube too. It's way too long. No, I think it was, I think it was appropriate. I, I, was, I, I had taken um, Gabo Pin and it was making me sleepy. And so it was like fighting through the thing. And then I look back, it's like, oh, God, 30 minutes. That's insane. Hey, um, sometimes you look back and you're like, wow, I said that? I am a genius. Even <laughs> sometimes. On drugs. Um, sometimes. <laughs> but, but kind of your, your overall um, thoughts on, on her. The Kandra Brown thing? I think, I think she's a great qualified candidate. And I think Republicans, I loved how they all approved her yeah. for the appellate court. Right, but, but wouldn't judge her for this. Court, now all of a sudden she's like a pedophile. And, and notice too how they you go linked hand in hand. How she's all about you know um, oh, light sentences right. for it light is. for light sentences for pedophiles, pedophiles. But then the grooming happens too. Right. So it's like look at what is going to happen. All this grooming's happening while she's helping pedophiles. Yeah, the grooming stuff is disgusting. God, that's disgusting. The Katanji Brown thing. Look, my, my basic point or the premise that I was trying to get at. 
is, it is one thing. If you are basically trying to, to do this wokeness stuff, I think they missed the boat on the wokeness stuff. I mean, like, if you're looking at, let's say, a Star Trek version of it. Lieutenant Ahura didn't Always spend— a Star Trek version of it. Well, that's—I that's, <laughs> think of that's Lieutenant think. Ahura. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She didn't spend all of her days talking about her race. She didn't need to. They were integrated society in the way that they engaged with one another. So it wasn't that race had to take prominence all the time because you just kind of considered the person a person. If they were really trying to get across how qualified she is, how African-Americans could do this job, then you don't have her grading on the curve. And you don't imply that you're grading on the curve when you bring her on. You come out, you say, we're looking for the best candidate. Oh, by the way, that candidate just so happens to be black. She wasn't on the curve. It wasn't something where we were just limiting the list to black women. It wasn't that. We were looking for the best person. It was her. That's what they should have did. That would give far more credence to this notion of people of a particular race, of a particular demographic, um, being capable in, in their capabilities in those various jobs. It would have been that. Instead, he comes out, hits her in the knees, basically say, yeah, this is going to be a black woman. So it's a short list right off the bat. Meaning, instead of you just saying we're picking the best candidate, and even if your internal deliberations is, we want a black woman for this because we want to have this um, meta symbolism associated with her choice. Fair enough. But if you tell me that, you kind of kill that. Meaning you get more bang for your buck by not saying that. You get more bang for the buck by basically saying, yeah, this black woman was the most qualified person for this position in America. Congratulations. That's the way you do it. That's the way you do it. And I get what he he wants is he's looking at the polling. He's seeing all of these African-Americans leaving the party. Mind you, like I I thought she was qualified, but she did not move the needle one bit. No, it's like, hey, we appreciate that. He's gone even more down. We appreciate that. But that is not $15 an hour minimum wage. Mm-hmm. That is not elimination of student debt. That is not um, uh, the, the health care plan. The, um, yeah, Katanji Brown ain't yeah. going to be She's not doing any of that. Stuff. No, yeah. she's not doing any of that. This is purely a symbolic choice. June. Yeah, that's the other part. I mean, so it's like he's trying to get credit from this from the African-American community because he can't get anything else done. And look, is she qualified? Yes. Is she a great candidate? Yes. Do I applaud her being on that bench? Absolutely, 1,000% yes. Do I even agree with them on some level if they wanted to use race as a criteria for this kind of meta-narrative that they want to create? Yes. Should they have done it this way? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I do, I do have a newsflash for you. I Go think for- Republicans are going to be eating crow on that one because I think she's actually going to trend to the right. You think so? Oh, absolutely. You know, she, comes Breyer- from, she comes from a police background. Ooh, all of her families are cops. That's why I was laughing with like Ted Cruz and all of them. I'm like, you guys are idiots. And they're, well, they've even they shown the graphs of Supreme Courts that went in as a Republican and how they trend left. And how Republicans are, how they go in Republican, or yeah, no, they go in Republican and they trend left, yeah. or they go in left and they start to trend right. Breyer, wasn't he put in on Reagan administration? I could be wrong. He uh, trended to the left. Don't quote me, but but yeah, and he's he's trended left, more right. Big time. Um, well, it, it all depends. It, but I mean, the, the point being though is that a lot of times, you know, it's a lifetime appointment, right? And things change. People grow, you know. But back to your uh, your um, point on though, if they would have. I actually just picked the most qualified person rather than going on a curve. I think that Stacey Abrams would not have been president of the earth on Star Trek. You don't think so? Hell no. I don't know, man. They she can't she was win the best an election. She was- <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, we need to go there again. Mitch McConnell, for example. Mitch McConnell came out recently. You know, his biggest claim to fame was not giving Obama his Supreme Court And pick. the fact that, he was, that he's a human turtle. That too. That too. Both of those things. Um, he, that, he's like, this is the greatest thing I've did in Congress. They asked him point blank, would you allow, if Biden had another candidate that you needed to pick, would you allow that person to go through? He was like, I'm not going to answer that. What do you mean you're not going to answer that? 
shouldn't mean, people so that, know so that's that? a hard no. <laughs> I mean, shouldn't people know that before they go to the polls and put those guys in office that they're not going to confirm the president's pick? That's a big deal. And the fact that he wouldn't own up to it is, oh, that's disturbing. Because he already knows the answer. They all know the answer. He's just not going to say it. But that's where you get these anchors where they don't push back. Right. Because they want to make sure push. that Mitch comes on the show again. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, because if that would have been me, I would have been like, so it's a hard no then, just like last time. That's what the guy did. Rah, 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 rah. The guy kept you pushing can't, him. You can't work around this, buddy. Yeah. Like, can you just say it? I just You're need you to answer in the court with a bunch of Republicans, like what you've been wanting to do since Robert Bork got Bork. Yes. Let's admit it, buddy. He doesn't want to do rah, it. Rah. He just, oh, no, no comment. These are hypotheticals and blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay. I look like a human okay. turtle. Yeah. <laughs> That's Go check out Jon Stewart's jokes on him. It is and he's thinking mm. the world with the turtle stuff. But look, you guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Fran Franzak. Back in a moment, we're going to be talking about the French elections. Marie Le Pen gaining ground. Ooh. Is it a Trumpian victory by chance? We'll find out. Could be L- Marie Lewin. Lewin. Mm. <laughs> oh, what is the French thing? I forget the name of it. But look, you guys. La France. That's it. For Fault someone. Lines. Thomas Franzak. <laughs> back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host, Farron Franzak, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM and 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging with Farron and I are putting down whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like and share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat or a phone call, 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make this show what it is, so definitely don't be shy. As um, Farron said, is it Le Pen for the win? Well, we are going to find out. The first round of voting is basically taking place, and these two have come out on top, and so they're going to go into a runoff election. But we basically have Emmanuel Macron, who initially was winning pretty handedly, but Le Pen was able to basically come back and bring the score far closer than what people believe she would have been capable of. It's have a conversation. The rematch of the century, baby. Of the century. Prague <laughs> uh, Magor, or whatever they call it. <laughs> um, but we have um, Gerald Oliver. He's a journalist, author, blogger, and editor at The Atlantico. Gerald, thank you for joining us again, man. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. Yes, good morning to you. I'm, I'm great. Thank you for inviting me. No, absolutely. So uh, were people shocked by the outcome of this election? And, and two points. What was the f- score in the first round? And second, were people shocked by, let's say, the capability of Le Pen to pull closer in this election? Well, let's say that there were a few surprises. Um, the The... the the main surprise may not have been that Marine Le Pen uh, came into second. The number one surprise may have been that uh, Macron came in over 28%, I believe, or very close to 28%, which is pretty good score for a first round of ballot. Uh, another surprise was that the far left candidate, Mr. Mélenchon, came up at 22 and was very close to taking second place. And the final surprise or the double surprise in a way was that Eric Zemmour, who was for a while uh, 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 an up-and-coming candidate, uh, only garnered 7% of the vote, while the traditional Republican Party 
uh, completely imploded and finished under 5%, meaning they won't even get their campaign expenses reimbursed by government. And that's pretty much the end of that party. Wow. Okay. So under that model, then, is it a situation where the right-wing candidate, because they imploded Le Pen, ends up getting that much more support? Yeah, I think part of the reason behind the success of Marine Le Pen were two things. Uh, uh, the conservative right, instead of voting Republican, they went Rassemblement National. They went from Marine. For a while, Eric Zemmour uh, was eating up uh, some of her vote. And uh, we even saw some people from the Rassemblement National, Marine Le Pen's party. We saw some people jump ship in the campaign and join Eric Zemmour. Uh, in the end, uh, uh, his candidacy kind of whittled down and she regained ground. Um, the, the one thing we have to understand is that technically in France, when you have a, a presidential election, you have two rounds of ballot. On the first ballot, you vote your heart. And there's always tons of candidates, including, including candidates from the fringes, and they garner a couple of percentage of the vote. But people are supposed to use that first round of ballot to really vote what they think. And if we follow that line, then there is a real base in France, a base of support for the Rassemblement National, and it stands for both anti-immigration and a more nationalist-minded kind of, of policy. However, uh, on the second round of ballot, you're always supposed to vote reason. Uh, there's only two candidates left. The, the two candidates that made it on top at the first ballot have a runoff for the second ballot. And then you no longer vote your heart. You vote what you think is best for the country or you avoid what might be worse for the country. And when you look at the perspective of the second ballot from that angle, you have to consider that it's going to be very, very hard for Marine Le Pen to beat the odds meaning that we're probably going into a repeat of 2017, where Macron came up on top. And it's more than likely that two weeks from now, uh, uh, Macron will be reelected, even though uh, he will be considered a president by default. Uh, uh, because if you look at Sunday night's vote, 66% um, of the electorate, more than two out of three voters, actually did not vote for Emmanuel Macron. So it looks like he's got a steep hill, but it's actually the reverse situation. Because if you look at the general vote of the left uh, and the general vote of the people who turned out to be in favor of Macron in the second ballot, uh, it's over 60%, depending on how you count and what voters might actually do. Uh, Marine Le Pen, if you add up the people that said they would vote for her, it comes to somewhere between 30 and 35 percent. So she's way behind and it's going to be very, very difficult for her uh, to come up uh, on top on April 24th. You never know, but it's highly unlikely that we'll have a major surprise. And the, the, the most, shall I say, a probable scenario is Macron being reelected by default. So my only question with that is, is you have the latest poll coming out, the average of polls, um, at least here in the United States, Real Clear Politics, where it takes all of all of the polls that have been done. And the average is Macron is at 53 percent and Le Pen is at 47 percent. Now, when the United States, I remember when Donald Trump was going against Hillary, um, the election was super polarized. You had your Bernie bros that felt... Um, you know, kind of that they had been shunned, obviously. 
many of them would say with is that that is what pushed Trump over the edge to beat Hillary. But one of the big things is that Macron is obviously an incumbent. And one of the big arguments that they have been kicking off on the campaign trail, at least Le Pen has been really pushing this whole uh, argument, is the cost of living in France and how these people are worse off than they were during the last term um, when Macron was brought in. And she definitely could have, I feel, um, she probably, it seems like she could have a surprise, especially with it being 53 to 47, because I'm not going to lie, those were the same numbers that we got with Trump and Hillary, and nobody thought Trump was going to win. So again, I just feel like, do you think France is as polarized as, as the United States was in 2016? It's even more so now. But it seems like France is going through a polarization very much the way the United States is. Yeah, that, that's very true. And and if, if, if I look at your analogy with uh, 2016 in the U.S., uh, I do want to mention that there's there's a technical uh, issue concern. The American system uh, uh, with the Electoral College really allowed Trump to come on top. But if you look at the popular vote, Hillary actually won that vote, you know, by 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 little. And it turned out that Donald Trump got elected, but he still lost the popular vote. So when you look at France, we don't have uh, an Electoral College. We'll just add up the votes. And and. Uh, uh, in France, you still have a situation where indeed people are very much dissatisfied with the way Macron ran his presidency. Um, even before COVID and uh, before uh, uh, the, the, the current international crisis in, in Ukraine, uh, we had the Yellow Vest movement uh, and people uh, actually saw that their standards of living were, were going down and their president didn't seem to care much about that that, uh, that that kind of France. We don't have a, a so-called flyover country in France, but we do have an opposition between uh, urban France and, and provincial France, between the center and the so-called uh, periphery. And there, there are uh, millions of people who feel that they are the forgotten French. They're, they're the French whose standards of living have been going down. Uh, government services, public services, they've been going down. There are less trains. There are uh, longer queues when you go, longer lines when you go uh, to the hospital, so forth and so on. So there is real discontent, okay? However, when you look at the political system, you find that Marine Le Pen is still being associated with the far-right movement that was started by her father uh, almost 50 years ago. And uh, Sunday night, uh, you know, uh, results come in at 8, and by 8.10, uh, all of the leftist candidates uh, had called for a so-called Republican front to stop the far-right from coming to power. I do not believe that Marine Le Pen today can be qualified as a far-right candidate, not if you look at her program. She's anti-immigration and she's nationalist. I don't believe that makes you extreme right. You don't. You, you can be anti-immigration and not uh, be a fascist. So that's the way the, the, the traditional media looks at it. But the traditional media is in support of Macron. And for the next two weeks, we're going to have those calls uh, to a, a Republican front 
uh, to avoid France falling into the abyss of et cetera, et cetera, as you may imagine the, the rhetoric, that's going to be very, very hard to beat for her. Now, the one advantage she has now that she didn't have in 2017 is that indeed Macron today has a record. He's been president for five years. So when they face, and they will face in a, a one-on-one debate uh, at next week, next Wednesday, uh, on that day, she can try to confront Macron with his record, and that will work in her favor. Uh, will it be enough to cover that three-point deficit you mentioned earlier? I think it's a, it's a tough climb. And I think at the at those debates, too, I think obviously top of mind would be how each side plans to handle uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin. What do you think? Uh, and for those for viewers that aren't kind of really watching this um, election as closely as we are, what do you think each side is going to say? Because you had, for example, uh, the Polish president last week coming out, blasting Emmanuel Macron, saying hey, you're you're conversing with the enemy here. You shouldn't be talking to him and your talking hasn't helped deter him whatsoever. Then you have Marie Le Pen coming out and saying, hey, we could have Russia as an ally again. We don't need to be dealing with what the rest of Europe is doing. What do you think each side is going to say as far as, you know, kind of drumming up their voter base? Because you're even seeing there's been a low turnout so far in this first round of, of the French presidential uh, vote. Um, and how do you see that driving more votes to come out, seeing that the turnout was so low the first round? Well, the turnout was low because people felt that it was a foregone conclusion. And I think the turnout may still be low a couple of weeks from now because people will feel just like what I'm telling you, that it's also a foregone conclusion. Now, uh, Ukraine and, and Russia's invasion of Ukraine uh, was the turning point in the campaign. Uh, that's when Zemmour started going down. And that's where Macron started going up. Macron is the president in power and uh, uh, dealing with an international crisis made him look more presidential. And Macron was very acute in his dealing with Russia. Of course, he condemned the invasion. Of course, he condemned the war. But indeed, he tried to achieve peace, at least in the very uh, early days, by keeping an open dialogue with, uh, uh, um, um, with Putin. Uh, Marine Le Pen was much further, shall I say, uh, uh, involved uh, in favor of a, a, a position that would take into account Russia's arguments much more than the media and most politicians were willing to do, um, following the example of the Polish prime minister that you just mentioned. But I think the issue here in France for the election is going to turn not so much on Russia, yes, on how to handle Russia, but also on how France should behave within Europe towards Russia. And Macron is a, 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 a very uh, a pro-Europe, uh, um, uh, extremely pro-European Union. Marine Le Pen, five years ago, wanted a Frexit, as we call it here, wanted France to uh, to exit the European Union. She even didn't wanted France to, to give up uh, the euro um, currency. And Macron is going to come out saying that France is stronger within Europe and France need a, a, a European response to Russia. And Marine Le Pen would put France at risk, not so much with Russia, but with its traditional allies. And Macron is going to be the voice of safety, 
the voice of security, the reassuring voice, Marine Le Pen would be taking a major chance. And, and you have to remember one thing, uh, the war is taking place in Ukraine. Ukraine is on the same continent as France. It's a three hours flights away from Paris. And when the war broke out, uh, the number one fear was that A, it would escalate, B, it would spread beyond the borders of Ukraine. And, and uh, the, the Europeans are still very much afraid and very weary of a war that might escalate. The reassuring voice of Macron here, I believe, is going to play in his favor. Or is it the opposite? Like, think what I mean for the moment. Is there a contingent of the people who are in French, in France, that basically say, look, we want a policy that is more specific to us? And looking at the inflation that is, um, that is looming, I mean, oh my God. I mean, we haven't even, we're waiting a um, index, an inflation price. The, but it's, it's supposed it's, to be 8.4%. It is supposed to be astonishingly bad. And so this is like over month to month at this point, and it's only getting worse. So is there a, conti- a contingent of France that, okay, may not necessarily be Eurosceptic, but definitely take issue with Macron being an internationalist as opposed to basically France or French? Um, if that makes sense. I hope that question makes sense. Yeah, no, I understand. No, th- there is. There is. Uh, but does it make uh, 15.1% of the electorate? I, I, I doubt it. And uh, uh, what I was trying to say earlier is that, once again, uh, the way the French elections are set up, uh, uh, f- round one, first ballot, you vote your heart. Second ballot, you vote your reason. Uh, uh, Mr. Mélenchon, far-left candidate, uh, Mr. Jadot, uh, the Green candidate, uh, Madame Hidalgo, the Socialist Party candidate, uh, during the campaign, they, they were completely anti-Macron, criticizing for, for inflation and for many other choices. Uh, um, Macron has, has come out in favor of a return to nuclear energy. He did before the crisis in Ukraine, but he wants to build six nuclear reactors in the next 10 years. So, of course, for the Green, that was like a red flag. Well, uh, on Sunday night, uh, the, the Green candidate said, I, I call on my electors to vote for Macron, even though he completely disagreed with him all along the campaign, uh, simply because he wants to stop the so-called far right from ever reaching power. So there is a block of constituents of electors in France who are not a Europeanist as Macron can be, but I do not believe that they make up 50% of the electorate. And the name of the game here for the second round is to be able to enlarge your base. You have to be able to go beyond the people who believe in you. You have to bring in the people who don't necessarily believe in all of what you say, but are going to be willing to to take a chance on your side and go with you at least part of the way. And technically, Macron uh, is going to be able to to have a much uh, larger uh, shall I say, uh, uh, um, a larger gathering than than Marine Le Pen. Marine Le Pen still suffers from uh, the stigmas uh, attached to uh, the party when it was called the National Front and uh, was much closer to a far-right uh, or extreme-right position. She's still very much uh, uh, isolated. No one still has been willing to, to break that rule. Since François Mitterrand in France since 1980, and the election of President Mitterrand from the Socialist Party, uh, uh, there's been this belief on the right that you do not associate with the far right. And uh, Marine Le Pen still suffers from this stigma. This was the whole uh, uh, theory behind uh, Eric Zemmour's candidacy. 
he was supposed to be the guy to reunite the center right, the main right, and the far right. Um, and he came up at only 7%. And so it's obvious that Marine Le Pen can benefit from the block that is very dedicated to her. And, and she'll probably will do better than in 2017. Once again, once again I, I hate to, you know, it's good to keep the suspense alive. And there's always a chance. You never know. We have to see what will happen during those those debates. But it's it's a very high step uh, uh, to 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 make, to climb. That totally makes sense. I totally. No, that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. Keep in mind, you're talking to Americans, right? And we had Trump. And on the night that Hillary Clinton won, she had a 98% chance of winning um, on the night she lost. And so we look at this stuff in a particular way. But I do understand your point, though, that basically this is almost like a runoff election and people are going to choose what, who they believe is the most rational candidate from their standpoint. Um, so fair enough. I, I want to get into Europe for a moment and the way Europe is kind of dealing with the war effort. You kind of made the point of saying that Europe is freaked out, for lack of a better term. And so the politics on that stuff, meaning the vote tallies and stuff like that that is basically taking place on some level, is always going to include issues of war um, and peace because this is on the European continent. How is France going forward um, now that Angela Merkel has basically left and you have Emmanuel Macron, who's, I think by every assessment, is an internationalist in the way that he looks at himself as European. How is France going to try to take this kind of leadership position in Europe? And has does that make sense? Like, for the longest time, it seems like Angela Merkel was a face of Europe. Like, it was just her. She was, you know, when you think of Europe, you think of Merkel. She had been there for 16 years. Germany is called the beating heart um, of the economy in Europe. And so it kind of leads itself. Well, um, the chancellor now, Schwartz, is not necessarily the most, let's say, gregarious of people. Um, is this a situation that France is trying to take a leadership role um, in Europe? And what does it even look like going forward if France has that leadership role in directing Europe? Macron would absolutely love, not only is taking that role, yeah, uh, is he going to succeed? That's, that's another matter. Now, you're, you're quite right in, in your description, and, and uh, it's, you're also correct in, in going back on, on uh, Angela Merkel's record. Uh, she left Germany with pretty high uh, uh, popularity ratings, but everything is upside down now because uh, uh, what happened in Ukraine uh, has completely shown uh, the one-sidedness uh, of her policies. Now, obviously, this moment is a moment when Europe should be binding together, working on an autonomous uh, European defense. This is what France has pushed. This is what Macron has tried to push since he got elected, but other presidents uh, did the same before him. This is when uh, Europe should should talk with a voice autonomous from that of the United States, because its interests on the continent are not necessarily exactly the same. But what you actually are uh, witnessing uh, is that uh, European countries, the, the, the further east they are, the closer they are to the Russian border, the more they turn to the U.S. and the less they want to listen to Macron. I mean, there's an issue of credibility here. There's an issue of power. There's a, a, an, an issue of a, a history uh, the, uh, of NATO and other countries. European countries on the eastern front of Europe joined the European Union for economic benefit they joined NATO for security benefit, and they're not willing to give up either one of those two protections at the moment. 
And so Macron trying to tell France can replace the U.S. and we should be taking uh, care of ourselves uh, on our own, not depend on someone that uh, might tomorrow turn his back on her, on us or something like this. Um, he's going to have a, he's going to have a very hard time getting that message across. But yes, indeed, he would love to take that position, and it's it's the best time for him to do it because Germany Germany is still. In, in a way, uh, reeling from from its mistakes, and and Germany in in terms of economy, the 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 great fear in Europe today is that the German economy is going somehow to collapse or go into a deep recession uh, uh, because of the loss of the uh, um, Russian supply in terms of of gas and the current inflation in the price of energy, which has triggered inflation in Europe as well. We're not up to. 8.5% here in Europe, but people are talking about 4.5% or actually 6% going into 2022, uh, which is more than we've had for the past 20 or 30 years as well. So um, right now, because of the Germans' guilt over uh, its misguided energy policy, uh, Macron has an opening, but it's a very tiny one, and he's going to have a hard time getting his voice heard. We only have about a minute left. Um, will Europe be paying in rubles? Uh, I think new contracts could be playing in your in rubles. I'm, honestly, uh, I'm not sure that's that's significant. The, the talk right now everywhere in Europe is simply to find another supplier. Uh, and uh, in 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 the in for the very near future, um, the current contracts are still being executed. So uh, Russian gas is still coming into Europe at as we're speaking. Uh, we're really talking about what might happen uh, a few months down the road, and, uh, and especially a few years and decades down the road. But I don't think the the ruble here uh, is is the real uh, uh, issue, uh, because contracts are being paid in euro and then transferred into rubles. Both sides need energy right now, and both sides are willing to make concessions, but still trying to make it appear like they're doing the morally correct thing. Gerald, thank you for this. I appreciate this conversation. Thank the you. voice you're listening to is Gerald Oliver. He's a journalist, author, blogger, and editor at Elentico. You guys are listening to Fault Lines, Thomas, Franzak. Back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamarl Thomas. And in the ladies' corner, my trolls call me Moscow Mary. But I'm your pierogi princess, journalist extraordinaire, Theron Franzak. And that means, more likely than not, you are listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Franzak. No explosions with Gerald today. No, ex- yeah, no explosions. No explosions. It, it was on the French election, and it was no way to kind of go there. Um, Although I, I'm calling it now. I think I think Le Pen's gonna win. I don't know, man. He seems so confident, and I just like I told him well, we're in the United States. Well, he agreed that NATO was not behind Ukraine. So, well, that's so that's the wild part, right? 
we in the United States actually no, had I don't Trump. mean that in a bad way, but we all have our own different points of view. Yes, right <laughs> on on right on whether NATO was responsible and everything else. By the same token, though, I mean what matters is how the French public perceives. This. And if they're looking at this like, how much are we going to have to pay for inflation? How much are my gas prices going to go up? How much are my food prices going to go up? What do you mean I can't get fertilizer for this? What do you mean we don't have that product? Yeah, they may blame Macron for that. They may blame. They may say we would prefer a localized, a domestic foreign policy for France. And, and the That's guy not shocking that ended in third would be like the equivalent of like a Bernie. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and you saw where all the, and that was my question, like you saw where all the Bernie fans went. Because they felt ousted by Clinton. Right. And they went with Trump. Many of them didn't vote. Some of them went for Clinton, but mm-hmm. many of them voted for Trump. And so yeah. um, you had a lot of people who wanted to be punitive to the Democratic Party because they cheated the guy. And so it's like, what does that look like when your country is getting hit with all of this stuff? And then Macron seems like he's just toned up, out of touch. And I, I used to love European Parliament um, when these guys used to be going back and forth and getting to this conversation about a European army, a European military, something mm-hmm. that Macron backs. And he even made the point of saying, you know, this kind of autonomous foreign policy from the United States, which the United States looks at like, whoa, what do you mean? And with other countries around Europe basically saying, yeah, that's okay. We prefer being that. It's so weird. It's so weird. Uh, European politics is fantastic because, yes, they're wimps. Yes, they're weak as all can be in regards to being as people. By the same token, they have to deal with this kind of overarching body into their local domestic politics. So whereas us, okay, you had federal government. For them, you have countries that are... For right. all intents and purposes, want to consider themselves sovereign with this kind of overarching body that, you know, dictates on some level. It's just fascinating stuff. And then, then you had Brexit and now Frexit. Yeah. I heard it's one good. of those analysts say, yeah, France would never give their population a referendum on that. They was like, yeah, they was like, we would never do that. That's not a French thing They also thing to said do. that would never happen with England either or with the UK. So. Yes, they did. We'll see. Stay tuned, man. Perched at the edge of the world. Potentially perched. So pretentious. Sounds so pretentious. Yeah, it is. It is. is. Pretentiously, precipitously (laughs) perched. (laughs) Let's get into our headlines. In the news, in national headlines, the government's consumer price index being released today is expected to show prices shot up 8.4% from last year. This will mark the fastest year-over-year inflation since December 1981 and would surpass 7.9% 12-month increase in February, which itself set a 40-year record. How much is it worth? That's what I keep asking. Every time I see that question, I keep thinking, how much is it worth? President Joe Biden is visiting Iowa today to announce he'll suspend a federal rule preventing the sale of higher ethanol blend gasoline this summer as his administration tries to tamp down on gas prices. Most gasoline sold in the United States is blended with 10% ethanol, but the EPA will issue an emergency waiver to allow widespread sale of 15% ethanol blend. President Biden's administration officials say the move will save drivers an average of 10 cents per gallon. Oh, thank you, Joe Biden. And 2,300 gas stations, mostly in the Midwest and the South and Texas. Okay. Thanks, Joe Biden. That 10 cent is going to be awesome. Exactly. You're really, really getting to the issues there, buddy. Totally. Totally. That's going to help food prices and everything else. Mm -hmm. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is refusing to throw support behind the GOP colleagues' call for articles of impeachment to be brought against U.S. President Joe Biden. Oh, too soon. Too soon. The following up. The following. I'm sorry. The following. Oh, I think this is a clip from Representative Greg Murphy who argued that U.S. lawmakers' hesitance to form a united front on the introduction of impeachment articles stem from a lack of confidence in U.S. Price, Vice President Kamala Harris. Wow. We, 
we need to come back to that. Mm-hmm. That's a brutal, brutal headline. Mm-hmm. It's like they're, yeah, we'll come back to it. In international news, Indian Prime Minister Neandra Modi and U.S. President Joe Biden had a candid, quote, candid exchange of views, unquote, on Russia and Ukraine at a virtual summit on Monday, after which the U.S. said, quote, India will make its own judgments, unquote, on the crisis, but added that if India saw the tight links between China and Russia, it would be obvious impact to their thinking. Modi, in the meeting, said he suggested that direct talks between Putin and Zelensky, adding that he found the situation in Ukraine very worrying. What's interesting in that readout, if you listen to Modi's readout and you listen to the United States readout, the U.S. got nothing out of that. I mean, assurances nope. and everything else that they wanted. I mean, keep in Actually, mind. Actually, they kind of did get something out of it what? because go ahead and read the next headline. Okay, let's keep going. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said the United States is monitoring what he described as a rise of human rights abuses <laughs> in India by some official. Shockingly different. No, as Jamal would say, astonishing. Astonishing. How, how do you have, shouldn't you wait a couple of days before doing that? Meaning your president goes to a country and is basically They're begging them. a virtual them, meeting, but yeah. Virtual meeting, right. And browbeats the country into trying to get them, I mean, they had people who were sent to India once before who got nothing out of it. Then Biden ups the ante by being the president and is going to Modi to try to get him to get something. Andrews Modi's readout is basically, yeah, we're not giving you anything in this process. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, human rights abuses in India. Next, we're going to hear about a genocide in India. And then Watch. a chemical weapons attack. Yeah, and then a chemical weapons attack. <laughs> oh, and right in that order, day after day after day. Just It was like, wow, India just went off the rails day after day like that. Yeah. Blinken's remarks comes a day after United States Representative Ilhan Omar questioned the alleged reluctance of the U.S. government to criticize Indian Prime Minister Neandra Modi's government on human rights. That's amazing. That's amazing. This goes back to the Tillerson memo, where Tillerson memo basically is telling the Trump administration, look, we use human rights as a weapon. That for countries that we like, you know, like Saudi Arabia, or let's say some of these other countries that may be authoritarian governments, we keep our mouth shut because we need to have more friends than enemies. And if we basically go after countries for human rights, we have more enemies than friends. That is not a good policy um, for world governance. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. Wow. The neo-fascist Azov Battalion has accused the Russian armed forces of chemical weapons in port city of Mariupol on Monday. However, the mayor of Mariupol reported that the claim was still unconfirmed. He added that the investigation, they need to investigate the scene before making a conclusion. When Zelensky was asked this, and this came up in Reuters, Zelensky didn't bring up the fact that Russia used chemical weapons either. Right here, there were unconfirmed reports on Monday suggesting chemical weapons were used in a besieged south southern Ukrainian port of Moropol. Again, Moropol is about to fall at this point. You can read Western sources at this point. They say the quiet part out loud. Quote, we treat this with the utmost seriousness. Unquote, Zelensky said in his nightly video address on Monday, he did not say chemical weapons had already been used. Somebody seems to jump the gun. Your own guy. <laughs> Hadn't even owned up to that one yet. Billionaire in tech news, billionaire entrepreneur Elon Musk announced that he would not, NOT, be joining the board of directors of Twitter, Inc., but said he could work with the company on a variety of issues without limitation. According to the amended SEC filing, Musk will be able to discuss the company product and services and mergers, along with the board or elements of his management team. It also says that Musk can voice his opinions, quote, through social media or other channels, unquote. I was hoping he just bought Twitter. <laughs> if I'm being honest, I was like just hoping he just bought it. it. Just yeah. buy it. He got the money for it. Just buy it. It's like a rounding error. In pop culture news, Britney Spears confirmed on Monday that she is expecting her third child with her new hubby, Sam Agarish, Agrishi. 
It remains unclear whether Spears and Agarishi have officially wed, however, the pop singer does refer to him as such. Spears made the revelation in an Instagram post, so it was on Instagram, detailing that the pair made the discovery shortly after the pop icon noticed a slight weight change with her body. Britney's Prigo. <laughs> Britney's Prigo. Fair enough. In crazy story today, Monday, a jury selected in Fairfax, Virginia to hear the long-anticipated libel lawsuit Johnny Depp filed against his ex-wife, actress Amber Heard. Yeah, I know her. Um, who he accused of falsely portraying him as a domestic abuser. Depp sued Heard over the op-ed piece she wrote in the Washington Post in 2018, in which Heard refers to herself as a, quote, public figure representing domestic abuse, unquote. The article doesn't mention Depp by name, but it says it clearly refers to allegations Heard made in other forms that she suffered physical abuse at his hands. Depp denies the accusations, of course. The lawsuit is taking place here outside of D.C. because it is its location of Washington Post. Yeah. We'll get into that after in a second because I have a lot to say about that. Wait, you're saying they're having the... Yeah, we got to get back the to that. The case is here, yeah, because it, it's, he's suing the Washington Post. Interesting, interesting. In holiday news, we have National Licorice Day, National Grilled Cheese Sandwich Day. Okay, that's great. International Be Kind Lawyers Day. That's just funny. Equal Pay Day. That should be every day. The fact that we have to have a holiday for that gets across that that's a problem. National Only Child Day, which is Tomorrow, the greatest okay. holiday. Um, that we have ever come across on this planet. And today in history, in 1981, NASA launched the first space shuttle, Columbia, which was sent to orbit the Earth. Also in 1981, the all-time great boxer Joe Lewis passed away at the age of 66. Lost his fight with death, I suppose. In 1983, Harold Washington was elected as the first African-American mayor of Chicago. In 1961, 1983, first African-American man. Man, it took all the way up to 83. 1961, Russian cosmonaut Yuri Geller, a Bulgarian, became the first human to orbit space. 1945, U.S. President Delano, Franklin Delano Roosevelt passed away at 63. In 1892, a patient, a patent for a typewriter, was issued in the United States. Those are your headlines. You guys are listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Franza. Okay, so I have so much to say about this Johnny Depp case because yeah. I am a huge Johnny Depp fan. Are you? Him and I are part of the Scorpio gang. Um, so... Amber Heard is a crazy person. Um, she very attractive. One, uh, yeah, but she's she's bisexual. She has her former girlfriend video and audio recording of her throwing stuff at her. Um, she has pictures of her abusing her. Now, mind you, this didn't come out beforehand. Uh -huh. Either way, she writes this op-ed in the Washington Post, acting like she's a victim of domestic abuse. Never puts Johnny Depp's name in the article. Right. However, people assumed since she was married to him. Right. Easy after assumption. That, right. After that, he lost everything with Disney. You remember, they cut him from being Jack Sparrow, a character which he created, which is like That's the ultimate right. character. Um, Car Caribbean pri Pirates. Yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, you know, he lost a number of other Disney uh, movies that he was working on, yeah. lost a number of other roles that he had been auditioning for, and he basically got blacklisted. Because at that point, they considered, okay, you were abusive to Amber Heard. Right. Right. And she like brought him to court and all this. Well, the thing is, is with 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 the UK, because she also wrote, I believe, an op ed. It might have been The Guardian, maybe. Don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure it's The Guardian. Yeah. Um, UK actually has it where you can sue these paper for, um, you know, libel. Yeah. Like it, there, it's much um, papers here have much more leniency than the UK. Well, he won his case in the UK. All of these tapes came out of her, you know, yelling at him, 
him even like saying like, why were you acting that way last night? Why did you throw that at me? And she goes, I was just angry at you. Really? Where she admits to throwing stuff at him. She was highly abusive to him and tried to pin it on him. Her former girlfriend came out and was like, no, she's crazy. Her sister came out and was like, I don't want to be anywhere near her. She's that much of a crazy person. So here it was that what's so interesting about this case, though, and why I'm like knee deep into it coming from like a family of like that are part lawyers and then the other side's all medical um, is Johnny Depp is not named in this in this article. Okay. Whereas usually person the is name is it, the person is named. So this is going to turn on whether or not impl- implied. Um, abuse allegations is yes. enough. To and that's somebody. what I'm really, really like going to be watching for. Now, also, but it had consequences though. That's the also rub. the crazy part. Virginia normally does not allow cameras in the courtroom. Yeah. However, the fact that this case would be done in California, however, it's the Washington Post. Um, so they're having it here because the Washington Post is part of the suit. Right. They're having cameras in the courtroom. Okay. In yes. Virginia. And they're expecting this trial to go on for six weeks. Six weeks. So I'm going to be on Johnny Depp watch. Um, But they arrived yesterday and they're here in D.C. And it's going to be interesting, like I said, just for the fact that he's not named in the article and that it was Disney's decision to do that. Um, But it was based on the article. I mean, I guess... Was was it though? That's the crazy part. That's the rub. Right. As I'm starting to... Uh-oh. Your, 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 your yeah. words. So yeah, so it's gonna it's just gonna be really, really interesting to watch. That should be good. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I wonder what they're gonna I mean, I'm curious about the case law on that. Because it's not a situation yeah. where there was no consequences. There were clear consequences. She wrote an article and there started to be effects taking place from people just kind of implying that the article referred to Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, but can she say, Well, look, I didn't name anybody. They just assume that. Right. And that's going to be her defense. But however, when you have libel or slander, you have like the whole point is, is you have to show that right. you lost money, you lost jobs, that you part's lost easy. whatever. It's and the, that's the it's thing. It's the connection between those things. Right. But it's like, how did Disney know? Right. You know, like it, it, because it was an implication. We'll have to get like Reese Everson on to talk about this because yeah. again, it's going to be a really... Um, the legalities of that are going to be very interesting. Not like super profound, but like I said, it's just going to be interesting the fact that he is not named in the the article. Yeah. And she says that she comes out as an abuse victim because she also abused, because she's bisexual, she abused her ex-girlfriend. But clearly she didn't have any loss or damages or anything. And she could have been, oh, I was talking about my other girlfriend. Right. Oh, that's the and other her part. Being a crazy person, that's I, the other part. She could, she could totally do that. Man, she really does sound like a Scorpio. Yeah, no, no, she's not a Scorpio. <laughs> no, 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 no. Johnny Depp is a Scorpio. He's the good one. That's like, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> I'm such a good man. I love you so much. Which that's what we are in the Scorpio gang. But yeah, Amber Heard. Very I think she's like a Gemini or something. Because you know she was in Amber Heard. Amber Heard. She was in, in what is it for? Oh, in Aquaman. Yeah, mm-hmm. an Aquaman. That's probably what most people were. April 22nd. She's got a birthday coming up. What, Aries or something? I don't know. Maybe twice. I don't know what's off the top of my head. But either way, that doesn't sound all that great. That sounds pretty miserable um, for both people. And if she did that entirely just out of vindictiveness, that's even worse. Um, yeah, man, that's, that's horrendous. I mean, that's I the mean, thing. You never know if people thing, are nuts when you meet them. You're married to flipping Johnny Depp. Enjoy it. Exactly. Just enjoy like, it. Like, what is wrong with you? Just enjoy it. 
Unless she thinks, I'm Amber Heard. You should be happy to be with me, debt. Unless it's that. But who knows? People have all sorts of things in their heads. I mean, there could be jealousy issues. There could be power issues. There could be all sorts of stuff that goes on between you two people. Um, I don't know. But we will see, I suppose, as they drag out all of these elements of their life into the public to yeah. have this kind of fight. He's over. blonde now, too. I saw him on, on TV where he came out of the, the car and he's like blonde. He's blonde. Yeah, but she... She tried to get this court case dismissed. Yeah, no, yeah, no um, doubt, Fairfax, right? Virginia was like, oh, hell no, bring it. <laughs> right. Don't worry, we got all this other crap going on, but let's bring this one here. Like we need and public entertainment. He, um, she filed a, she now has filed a $100 million um, defamation countersuit, um, which basically that's- You're defaming me by accusing me of defaming you, mm-hmm. basically. But he's he's filing, though, for $100 million, saying that that's how much money he lost she by getting dropped. Dollars? No. Again, he is well more known yeah, than, you know. Of course, yeah, yeah, Crazy yeah, yeah. story about Johnny Depp. He was the roommate of Nicolas Cage when they first oh, got to Hollywood. And really? Johnny Depp wanted to be a rock star, like uh-huh. not uh, an actor. Nicolas Cage had an audition for the movie Cry Baby uh-huh. and was like, oh, I don't feel like going, you go. And, and he he's like, just try it. And he got it. Wow. And he's been an actor ever since. Wow. Nicolas Cage is one of those guys that have gotten, we need to get to your fault thing. But Nicholas Cage, it's not long, but yeah. <laughs> one of those guys has gotten to the point. So as people, as actors get older, sometimes they get more gravitas. So there's mm-hmm. uh, like Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd was in a film, I think, as he's gotten older. And, you know, he played mostly comedians. And in that film, it was like, wow, he's not a bad actor. Same thing with Nicholas Cage. I'm not a big fan of Nicholas Cage. But Nicholas Cage has taken, it seems like, in his old age to be experimental. And so he has these movies where he just goes, ham. They say you never go full retarded. That line, you know, in the... um. Uh, I can't think of it. Jamie oh, Foxx and Robert um, Downey Jr. No, it's a uh, Tropic Thunder. That's it. Where right. he says you never go full. You never retarded. go full retarded. Mm-hmm. Nicholas Cage has not taken that advice on some of those movies, and I'm honestly, they work for him. They do not work for Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis seems to have just gotten lazy in his old age, and those. Um, he was just diagnosed like with aphasia or something. Where, like, he's really, got, like Alzheimer's? Yeah. Wait, is it aphasia or Alzheimer's? It, it, it's like something. But I'm going to no, feel bad it, for it one. Just, I'm not going to feel bad for the yeah, other. Yeah, you're going to feel real bad. It's, it's like basically where he's like, yeah, like he in his last movie, yeah. they realize like you can't do movies anymore. It's that. I mean, so I'm not wrong in that. Like, I guess. It's not that he's lazy. He has a medical condition. Okay, lazy is. <laughs> lazy. I feel bad for using the term lazy. You lazy. You're lazy. <laughs> Actually, he has a medical condition that renders him basically I an invalid. I feel bad mm-hmm. for using the term lazy. But if you've seen any of Bruce Willis's last movies, they are atrocious. Yeah, because he had this condition. But he's doing movies. But they, that's how they figured it out. And by the way, one of those movies, he is talking about, like, not even a nuke. He's talking about destroying an entire galaxy to kill an alien species and commit genocide. He's like, sometimes this is necessary. And it's like within, like, 30 seconds of the movie, he's talking about committing a genocide over an entire species. Aphasia is, his aphasia was suspected by coworkers for years. The thing is, he's had it for at least a decade. Okay. Which means just, like your brain starts to go to mashed potatoes. He can just act like he didn't have aphasia when he was doing those roles? No. Just saying. <laughs> I think they realized he's not all with it. And it was something too where it was him using a gun. They said that he completely forgot how to use it. Really? Yeah. So again, it's not like, I think it, he's I not, get what he's you're not saying. Being lazy. The, the movies were bad. They were However, bad. it was, I don't think it was on account of he was trying to be a bad actor because he's amazing. I mean, you watched him die hard and all that stuff. He was amazing. But yeah, he's, he has an actual medical condition, you jerk. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll take that. Fair enough. You could say I was wrong. 
Well, they were bad movies. But you were wrong saying he was being lazy. Oh, yeah. Was he wasn't being lazy. <laughs> he was a medical condition. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I'm Just right about those movies. Those wrong. movies were horrible. I was wrong. It's super easy. I said it yesterday on my fentanyl, my fentanyl um, rant. Yes, you did. I think we got the clip. Let's, um, producers, can we play that? <laughs> Just say it. I was wrong. About what? About Bruce Willis. Oh, I'm, you don't understand. I'm I was wrong Bruce about Willis Bruce Willis. Fan. I'm a huge person. Even, even, even producer Eddie's shaking his head. I am wrong about him being lazy. You, he has a medical okay. condition. Fair yes. enough. Those movies were horrible, though. <laughs> so I'm just saying. It's like, what? <laughs> Those movies were horrible. You are worse. You're I worse admit than it. I was wrong. What do, you, what do you want from me? You just say, hey, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. He there wasn't being go. lazy. There you go. We got it, ladies and gentlemen. Jill Biden, Starfish For the class. third time, I've said that. No, no, but no, no, those no, movies no. were pretty oh, bad. Now oh, you're I can't you say the movies it? were bad. Oh, man, this is too funny. 12 Monkeys. Oh, I forgot about that he was in that. Yeah. Yeah, 12 Monkeys was astonishing. Yeah, yeah. But no, some of his movies again. were really good. Uh, that, if all of his movies were bad through his entire career, we wouldn't be having this conversation. That's true. That's true. So, it's yeah. not that I hate Bruce Willis. It's not that. I, I mean, Sierra um, Jack tomorrow can never take a loss. What do mm-hmm. you... I don't know what you guys are talking about. I own up to You're the You're listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. We're going to be back. 440 in the chat. Rumble.com slash Fault Lines. Share it with your mom, your dad, Bruce Willis, if he's available. <laughs> right. Share it to everybody, folks. Tweet to Bruce. Tweet to Bruce. <laughs> Tweet to Bruce. <laughs> We're back in two minutes. <laughs> Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host, Farron Franzak, coming to you live out, of, live out of our station in Washington, D.C. And it is that special, momentous time where I get to sit and listen to Farron's monologue. Farron, <laughs> what is your fault for today? Um, it's going to be really, really quick. But um, I'm. <sighs> we played the soundbite yesterday from Pete Buttigieg, uh, where he basically said, you know, they... It was Charlemagne the God said, hey, you realize that like black people are really angry with Democrats because you're not following through on any promises. And he's like, really? Really? Literally like that. Um, You have the latest now with COVID. You have Philadelphia coming out. They were, they had no mask mandates for a month. Now they're coming back saying that there's COVID, uh, there's a COVID surge and the masks are coming back. And people are noticing again rules for thee or rules for thee and not for me yesterday Jen Psaki asked about this when Kamala Harris was seen at a meeting talking about COVID beforehand and how everyone needs to mask up and she's there not masked up saying hi to everybody let's roll clip I know that um, the vice president was masked indoors all day, but the White House tweeted a video showing her standing over the president without a mask on. Can you explain what happened there? Well, I would say that the vice president and the president and all of us abide by what the CDC protocols are. It was an emotional day. It was a historic day. And there were moments when she was not wearing a mask inside, including in a photo, but she was wearing it 99.9% of the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fine. Okay. Again, this rules for thee, not for me crap coming up again. Um, There was actually a really interesting um, fact that I learned last night. 
when I was watching one of the many podcasts that I do, and it, it brought about an interesting idea. There was a, a, an experiment where they took rats and they put them in a cylinder tube and they filled it with water. They put the rats in it and they swam, 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 swam until they drowned. And it was like five minutes to see how long it took them till they drowned. It's very grim, but rats are used for a lot of experimentation. Then they took a next, a next batch of rats and they put them in. They had them swim, 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 swim. And just before they were going to release and let go, they picked them up, took them out, dried them off, let them rest, and then put them back in the cylinder with water. Do you know how much longer they were able to swim in that water? I don't know, but this was pretty grim. I mean, an hour. <laughs> you know why? They were given hope. They thought the rats, it was rescued. human condition. If I, if I just keep swimming, I'm eventually going to get pulled out again. And that's what I worry that's happening with these mandates again, with COVID, all that stuff. Is here we've had a little bit of a lift with all the mandates. Things have gone down. And now all of a sudden, you have more and more COVID stuff happening. You have, for example, the new thing about asking about gas prices again. What are we hearing about every every single day, every freaking day? We also have a major famine on the horizon. And what's being said about from Jen Psaki as her PR, as the White House PR firm? Take a listen. So because of the actions we've taken to address uh, Putin, the Putin price hike, we are in a better place than we were last month. Um, but we expect March CPA, CPI headline inflation to be extraordinarily elevated due to Putin's price hike. And we expect a large difference between core and headline inflation reflecting the global disruptions in energy and food markets. So core infl inflation doesn't include energy and food prices. Uh, headline inflation does. And of course, we know that core inflation, you know, energy, the impact of energy, of course, on oil prices, gas prices, we expect that to uh, continue to reflect what we've seen uh, the increases be over the course of this invasion. And just as an example, since since President Putin's military buildup accelerated in January, average gas prices are up more than 80 cents. Most of the increase in, uh, occurred in the month of March, and at times gas prices were more than a dollar above pre-invasion level. So that roughly 25 percent increase in gas prices will drive tomorrow's inflation reading. And certainly it's not a surprise to us, but we certainly think it will be reflected. So whatever the, the, the number that comes out out of the GDI is going to be Putin's fault. And if it's not that... When, for example, Scott Ritter has even said with the Russians that they want to end this war within the next month. Now, with the ending in the next month, then what's going to be the excuse? The reason why I brought up the rat study, COVID's going to come back. You watch. COVID's coming back. You already have cities coming back with these mask mandates where, they're, where they've realized, again, why I said we've gotten a little bit of hope right now, but we've also gotten a war. When the war's over, it's going to be back to COVID again. You watch, which is why you have probably the biggest red wave we are about to see. And this is coming from um, Matthew Iglesias, um, who is, let me get his exact bio, the writer and editor um, of, he started Vox News. So he's very far left, very far left. Came out with a whole study showing, and I quote, Suppose Democrats get 48% of the vote in 2022 and then rebound to 50% in 2024. Pretty normal. But under today's new maps and the new district maps being out, you know, whether they were gerrymandered or not, 
That means a GOP trifecta with 60 or 61 senators either way. And you know they're going to come back with whatever Republican, you know, where they're going to try to take the House. We're probably going to have a Trump come back. And what I'm saying is, is that this all is, it's just like, it's, it's, I feel like I'm living in a psyop. If it's not one thing, it's another. First, it was, it was you know, we got to get down COVID. We got to ramp down COVID. What did we hear two years ago? 15 days was going to cure it all, right? Two years later, with the death of multiple people, um, a lot, uh, you know, people losing businesses, their homes, kids being stuck in school with masks on. We've had the studies come out, and I know you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna disagree with masks, but the FDA masks are an experimental piece of of cloth you can put on your face. Every surgeon out there will tell you. Now, I granted, I got, I agree. If you're sick, put on a mask. If you're sick, put on a mask. But if you're a kid in school for eight hours a day with a mask on your face when you're not sick and you're likely not going to be getting this or even really feel the effects of it. Why are these kids continuing to sit in school with masks on their face? Kids, our kids are going to, these kids are going to grow up and remember all of this crap. And the reason why these congressmen right now don't care about any of this is because their kids are all adult and grown and their kids are off doing whatever the hell they want. Again, rules for thee and not for me. However, I have talked more and more about Alex Stein 99 and I'm actually this close to getting him on the show as to why he's trolling everybody. He went against the city of Plano asking about masks and kids, and then he's gone against, he's even, you know, done the whole, you know, my... Zelensky singer. Yes, yes, okay. him. Yeah. Well, now, because he lives in the city of Plano, Plano now has it, the city council. It used to be you could go up there and talk as long as you want. Because he's brought so much attention to the city council, they've now limited it to only three minutes. No people way! Can talk. No way! Only three minutes. So last night, he went up in front of the Plano City Council, and folks, <laughs> we need to start doing this because it's, I'm telling you, I was in local news. I know local government. Forget about Speaker of the House and all of that. It starts at your local government because they're going to be the future ones doing these mandates, your, your city mayors, your city managers, all of that. Listen to what he told the mayor of Plano, Texas. This was gold. Listen. Alexander Stein. Listen, I prepared a whole speech, but I just want to say, Mayor Munns, you're a coward. You need to look up the Streisand effect. By you guys limiting free speech, you just proved that we've affected your whole meeting. You guys are such pathetic cowards. You guys are scared of giving people three minutes to talk. And I'm the only reason that Plano's even getting any attention. That I'm the reason why you guys are trending on Twitter. So you're so dumb, you can't even realize the attention might actually help your campaign. But instead, you're going to push back against it. And we're going to publicly embarrass you, Mayor Munns, worse than you've ever been publicly embarrassed. If there's one skeleton in your closet, I'm going to bring a whole grand graveyard up here and I'm going to publicly embarrass each member here except for Anthony. Anthony's pretty okay and honestly Rick's okay too but I'm telling you Julie you're toast. Maria you're toast. Mark you're toast. All you guys publicly are going to get embarrassed in this meeting. I don't care if I got one minute. I don't care if I got three minutes. I'm going to come up here and I'm going to disgrace the city of Plano because let me tell you something. I had some respect for it but our politicians you guys think when you get elected that all of a sudden we work for you. That's not how it works bucko. Y'all work for us Maria. You work for me. That's why you got elected but you're too dumb to realize 
that. That's the problem. You guys have two brain cells to rub together, and now you guys are trying to fight fire with fire. You're toast, Mayor Musk. You're toast. You're done. I'm going to publicly embarrass you worse than you've ever been embarrassed in your whole entire life. I hope you haven't had a divorce. I hope nothing. I hope your you got time no time is up. Oh, is it up? I can't hear you, Mayor Musk. I can't Please. hear you because you're a coward. You're a coward, Mayor Musk. And I'm coming. I'm going to publicly embarrass every single person in this meeting. You guys have not seen the last of Prime Time 99. I'm just telling you all. You made a big mistake. You guys are fighting fire with fire. Please. Big mistake. The party has just begun. And you know what? That is exactly how we need to be with these public officials. He seems a little angry in that moment. He's a little angry, but yeah. you know what? I think that the reason that a lot of these people get away with the crap that they've been getting away with is because no one is standing up. And you know what? Take a troll like Alex Stein 99 to do it. But you know what? We got to start calling him out at the local level. Can you imagine if Congress had a public comment session? Oh, man. I would, would, I would, I would support his cause 110%. They would touch that. So that's that's my overall thing. If it's not one thing, it's going to be another, and it's time to start calling these asshats out. Congress does have that, it, meaning you can um, summon a Congress member to your state in order to have meetings and everything else. That's something that that you could do. Many oh no, no, of these no I'm talking do. like you go to the Capitol. Yeah, we don't have, have that. Yeah, we don't have that. And you're in front of Madam Speaker. I'd like to Alex Stein, ninety nine. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> So, yeah. That is funny. Mm-hmm. That guy. Wow. Yeah, he's, you're toast. You're toast. I'm going to bring a whole graveyard. Like, Bob over there is okay. Yeah. Bob's a great guy. Yeah. Maureen is, she, she's fine, you but you got to go. I or anything. Yeah. I'm going to embarrass <laughs> the crap out of you. And you know what? These people, like you said, I elected you. You yeah. work for me. Yeah. That's how it works, bucko, yeah. as he says. And you know what? He's not wrong. People need to start remembering that fact, he especially with oh, you're going to get all these new mandates coming down. And again, I'm not saying that I'm against COVID or I'm against science. But what I'm saying is, is we've done all that we've needed to do. We followed the rules. We did what we were supposed to do. If it's not a, po- a war with Putin, it's going to be COVID is the next thing. And if it's not COVID, then it's going to be another variant. And if it's not that variant, then it's going to be the flu shot. It's going to be, it's like a PSYOP control. And like I said, they lifted the mandates for a little bit, like lifting the rats out, dusting them off, drying them off, give us a little bit of hope, and then put us back in the water to see how long can we do the mask dates this time. And if we don't do something now, those mandates, they will last as long as they want them to, just to keep us under control. It's all about control. Masks have nothing to do with it anymore. It's all about control and what we're going to say yes and no to. On that, fault lines, Thomas, ah! Franzak. <laughs> my Howard Dean. Um, yeah, I'm fair and Franzak. You guys are listening to Fault Lines, Thomas Franzak. Back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host, Farron Franzak, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what Farron and I are putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like and share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and a course. You can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make this show what it is, so definitely don't be shy. So, the Yemen war 
as there is a ceasefire that has taken place over the course of Ramadan. And this war has raged on for years at this point with, at this point, massive amounts of casualties, not to mention forced starvation or, for that matter, forced disease, meaning using these elements to basically pacify a population. Saudi Arabia has been engaged in this war with Yemen. The United States has assisted in this war, and based on the New York Times, even greenlit this war, with Obama knowing full well it was going to be a bloody campaign. It was not going to be as done as fast or as clean as the Saudi Arabia was putting it. By the same token, Obama wanted the JCPOA to go through and didn't necessarily want Saudi Arabia to adversely affect it. So he greenlit, in their words, the war. And today, it still rages on, at the very least, a ceasefire. To have a conversation about this, we're joined with the one and only Marwa. Osman. She's a university lecturer, journalist, and TV show host for Press TV's Mid-East Stream. Um, Marwa, welcome to the show. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. I'm doing well. Good morning. How are you guys doing? So far, so good. I should say Professor Osman. Um, you're a university lecturer. No, no, just say Marwa. No, no, just Marwa's enough. Yeah. And for some reason, I felt like something else should go with it. Um, but uh, that's my own insecurities, I suppose. Um, but thank you for joining us. And this is a really interesting topic because for whatever reason, this has been in the outskirts of the public attention. Like all of this emphasis and attention has basically been put on Ukraine at this point where they would lavish attention on, oh, look at the dead bodies. Look at the things that we think have happened in this particular place or that place. And there's so much focus on it. By the same token, a given conflict has been raging for years. And that has been something we have been involved in, working with Saudi Arabia to assist them in that conflict, especially with the air refuelings or, in some cases, apparently, um, special forces on the ground. How, why do you think that grand disparity exists between the way we perceive those two items? Well, let me begin by saying, um, for example, uh, for the Western media, uh, Boris Johnson's hair had more attention than the war in Yemen. And I don't say that for uh, as a joke. I say that in reality. If you go on mainstream media and just Google search Boris Johnson's hair, you'd find more links to it than you would find to the genocidal war against Yemen that happened. Mind you, I was listening to your uh, to your uh, segment before we started, and I, I, I can say something, that despite the fact that we in the Middle East, or what the world calls the Middle East in West Asia, despite the wars and the atrocities that we've been going through, What's happening there is a hot mess, I tell you. That has never happened, will never happen here. So I'm just, I just wanted to clear that. Moving to, to, to Yemen, basically about the COVID issues and about that's the, the craziness that you guys are living through, that's something that we will never see here because of different variables. But when we talk now about, about Yemen and why it has not been in the spotlight as it should for the past seven years, we just entered the eighth year in March 20, uh, 25th, uh, 2022. And uh, basically, it's the old story of North versus South. It's the old story of people with brown skin who the rest of the world does not give two hoots about whether they live or die. And at the same time, it's the old story of imperialism and neocolonialism when you have a lot of resources and good waterways and great uh, geopolitical uh, uh, if you will, placement for Yemen uh, and right in the center of the world. Uh, so you, your agenda as, as an imperial power would be to not allow uh, the regular working class people to hear about Yemen because I doubt anyone would accept what's going on uh, in Yemen if they hear about it. 
I doubt anyone would be okay with uh, funerals being uh, bombed and weddings being bombed and school buses being bombed. But at the same time, it's not the first time that we see this. We saw that in Iraq. I mean, Iraq since 2002, all sorts of uh, banned uh, internationally banned weaponry that was used on civilians, 1.5 million Iraqis dead. Yes, there were some some times when uh, media did speak about it, but did it speak about it enough? Did these people take reparations? Were these people given the righteous uh, recognition that they deserve? No, and I think, sadly, I think the same thing will happen with Yemen. A lot of interest for the US and NATO and the UK in Yemen, and a lot of bad alliances with really bad royal cults in uh, the Arabian Peninsula, name, namely the kingdom, what is known as the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. And with all of what's going on in the world right now and before that, uh, even before COVID happened, Yemen still did not make it to the scene when uh, it should have been right there in the headlines. But at the same time, what the people don't realize is that Yemenis were not sitting still waiting for death to approach. They were working hard and they earned their place in the international, what's also called as the international community, all these terminologies that just drop on us from the Western world. We, we use them for the people to understand, but there's really nothing called international community. It's just an empire that's ruling the world. But even then, Yemenis did not just sit aside and wait for death. Despite the siege, aerial sea naval uh, blockade, despite 400,000 plus uh, civilian deaths, not counting the actual uh, military deaths as well, despite bombing campaigns where not only internationally banned weapons, even new weapons that were uh, tried and experimented on Yemen, you could search Fajatan Mountain in Sana'a and watch the horrific horrific nuclear-like explosions that happened there in 2017. All of that does not mean that Yemen was sitting still waiting for death. They did put themselves right center stage uh, with the international community. And now what we see of a truce that's happening for, that started in Ramadan and will continue for two months is basically the result of continuous retaliatory resistance action by the Yemeni armed forces by targeting not civilians. No, they targeted, I, and I, I would dare anyone to give me a number or a name of a civilian that Yemenis actually killed in Saudi Arabia or the UAE. No, what they targeted is the thing that really hurts them most. They targeted Aramco, they targeted Rastanura, which is basically the northeastern uh, part of Saudi Arabia, where 80% of the oil experts of Saudi, exports of Saudi Arabia go out to the world. And they targeted desalination plants and other uh, electricity facilities. And if you don't know what Saudi Arabia is like during the summer, you would understand what it means to lose electricity when it's 60 degrees Celsius outside. So basically what happened is Yemen did not wait for anyone and they brought everyone to their own table and started this truce. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you're so right as, as far as the coverage with like Boris Johnson's hair, because I even um, spoke about a couple of weeks ago, you had actress Angelina Jolie was actually made her like seventh or eighth trip to Yemen and has been trying to actually lobby Congress to sell to send more humanitarian aid, especially during this time and to no avail. However, we have all of this money right away to send to Ukraine, which they're actually saying the Ukraine war could actually dip into that humanitarian aid that should be going to Yemen as well as Afghanistan. But to be honest with you, just Yemen does not, does not need it. 
just lift the siege and Yemen is Yemen is a country of 500,000 uh, squared uh, uh, kilometers which means they have a big swaths they have big swaths of land they have a huge oil reserve they have the finest gas resources in the world they have four cli- they have four climates per per year they have four seasons i'm sorry they have four seasons per year uh, unlike Saudi Arabia they can basically grow their own food they can trade with other countries just lift the siege and the people will be living fine the yemen does not need aid and this is where our our focus starts to stretch away from the point the point is stop the war lift the sanctions, lift the siege, leave Yemen be. It's a sovereign state. They are fully free to react and have trade and have political ties and alliances with whomever they want. This is how the world works, but not according to the empire. But you do have the longtime Yemeni president who stepped aside. Do you think that this is going to promote peace between those warring parties, though, in order to lift those sanctions? No, no, let me tell you, Abdurrabu Mansour Hadi resigned twice on national and international TV before the war and during the war while he was still in Yemen. Twice he resigned his position. He left the war all throughout seven years of the war. He left it. I I think he stayed for six or seven months before he left. He left to Saudi Arabia living like a prisoner in a hotel, much like the Ritz-Carlton issue, if you remember what I mean. And uh, after that, after seven years of war, after seven years of Saudi Arabia saying we are waging this war to reinstate the legitimacy of Hadi, they just drop him like a hot bag of potatoes and they tell him to go on um, live national television, resign and uh, uh, just uh, basically give out his, or uh, the word is uh, to to delegate. He delegated his powers to a presidential council led by whom? Led by the leaders of uh, mercenaries and militias inside of Yemen that work uh, shoulder to shoulder with Saudi Arabia, with the UAE, that take direct orders, orders from Saudi Arabia and who are being armed by the UK and the US and their head. Now, the, the new supposedly president is Rashad Al-Alimi, who has, and it's no secret, he has great ties with Washington to a point that in Yemen, they don't call him Rashad Al-Alimi. They call him America's man. So we're talking about changing, just taking that puppet out that's called Hadi. He's just now out of date. He expired. We brought this uh, presidential council. We put Rashad Al-Alimi as its head. And by the way, according to the uh, uh, law presented by this presidential council, which was, by the by the way, announced to the public as a decree last Thursday at 1 a.m. in the morning. This is how decrees in Saudi Arabia work, 1 a.m. in the morning. And according to, the, to that law, Rashad Al-Alimi has full power and none of the members can challenge his power. So they just created their little own dictator to impose on Yemen. He's not elected. There was no referendum. The people did not choose him. The people never even saw him before because he was just an advisor for Hadi for some time during the war. But he was the direct link with the UK and the US. And at the same time, the real power on the ground, which is Ansarullah, which is known by the Houthis, but the Houthis are just one tribe of Ansarullah. It's hundreds of tribes within Ansarullah. But Ansarullah, who make up the majority and have the salvation government in Sana'a, basically the government ruling Sana'a for the past and the rest of the country, except for the uh, uh, 
southern part of the country for the past seven years, they said, we know this is America's man. This is a charade. We're not going to negotiate with people sitting outside of the country. They want to negotiate with us. They should come here. And we have a package of conditions before if they want to talk to us, but we don't trust them yet. What I believe that's what's going on, I believe that Saudi Arabia will take a break for two months, but after that, they will reinstate violence, aggression, uh, bombing campaigns, and siege again. They are not enough. Mohammed bin Salman is still not yet satisfied with the blood that he spilled inside of Yemen. I want to read this line um, from the New York Times, and I want to get your take on it. I want to go backwards just a bit because I realized I didn't ask you to get your take on how all of this basically started. So right here, um, quote, Iran moved into Saudi Arabia's backyard, Mr. Hubir told Mr. Obama's senior advisors, and aiding um, rebels in Yemen who had overrun the country's capital and were trying to set up ballistic missile sites in range of Saudi cities. Saudi Arabia and its Persian Gulf neighbors were poised to begin a campaign in support of Yemen's impotent government, this is their words, an offensive Mr. Hubir said could be relatively swift. Two days after discussions in the West Wing followed, but there was little debate or little real debate. Among other reasons, the White House needed to placate the Saudis as the administration completed a nuclear deal with Iran, Saudi Arabia's archenemy. That fact alone eclipsed concerns among many of the president's advisors that Saudi Arabia-led offensive would be long, bloody, and decisive. Mr. Obama soon gave his approval for the Pentagon to support the impending military conflict. And of course, they immediately talk about how bad it goes. Um, they, from the United States framing of this, Iran is basically assisting the Houthis in the pushback against Saudi Arabia. Um, from your take, what is the origin of this? How did this start? And is there anything that I've read here in the way that it was described by the New York Times that is incorrect, wrong, or needs to be adjusted in regards to the point of view? Everything you just said is wrong. Everything you read from the New York Times is wrong. And I'm not kidding. No, I'm I, not kidding. Go first, into of all, for, first of all, let, let me tell you something. We fought in Lebanon against uh, Zionist occupation for more than 19 years before liberation. And we liberated our land. We lost a lot of people. I lost family members. I buried my family members in 2006 as well, even after the liberation. You know what we were called in all international media? Iranian puppets. Fast forward what happened in Syria. Syria defended itself. You know what they were called in the media? Iranian puppets. Fast forward to Iraq, when the Iraqi mobilization forces liberated their land from Daesh, from ISIS. It was the Iraqi people who liberated. It's a big joke. The people laugh at you in, in Iraq if you go and say that the U.S. coalition actually liberated or dropped a bomb on, uh, on ISIS. They never did. They dropped bombs on the, on, the, on the popular mobilization forces to allow ISIS to take more land in Iraq. Now move to Yemen, because Yemenis decided to face off with the Saudis and their masters there by the, the Americans. Now they are called puppets of Iran or they are actually proxies of Iran. It's a besieged country through the air, through the sea, through the land. Where or where can you have a map? Let the people look at the map and tell me where is Iran and where is Yemen and where on earth can Iranians actually bypass this maneuver to get to Yemen? They so much patronize the people of Yemen that they don't recognize that every missile that has been thrown on Saudi Arabia is Yemeni-made with Yemeni power and Yemeni brains. They, they patronize the people. They look down on the Yemenis to a point that after seven years, the first five years of the war, Yemenis were defending. The last two years, my friend, they were on the, the offensive side. They started with the strategy of offensive operations. And this is what hurt Saudi Arabia. And still, Mohammed bin Salman is not just sitting aside. There. He has no consultants that would just shake him a, a little bit and shake some sense into him and tell him, look, sit down with these people, talk to them. You guys share a history together. You share a land together. Talk to them. They have never learned from history. None 
none of the empires in the world were able to take Yemen because the Yemenis historically are known for their heritage of respect and of righteousness. They would they would gladly die for their causes. Now, because they are that steadfast, they are branded as Yemenis. Let me tell you something. Even They're not even wealth Shias. They are not even with the same ideology as Iran is. They are Zaydis. They're not even Shias, which means it's a totally ideologically different uh, part of Islam. They have their own ideology. They have their own culture. Basically, their culture is more similar to the, to the Saudis than it is to the Iranians. By far, it's more uh, similar to the Saudis. But the issue here is that Saudi Arabia, with Mohammed bin Salman in particular, does not want to just take a couple of steps down from this ladder of arrogance that he's sitting at and come and talk to these people. He would not allow it. And by the way, before the war even started in Yemen, there was a national dialogue where different uh, political factions in Yemen were about to sign a very important declaration for the country. And it was going to be a very peaceful decade for Yemen, but Saudi Arabia wouldn't allow it because they knew that they wouldn't be able to put their hands on the resources of, of Yemen. And to give you evidence of what I'm talking about, look at the uh, uh, the latest battles in Ma'rib and in Jauf and in Shabwa. These are the three main uh, governorates in Yemen where they have the biggest uh, uh, oil uh, resources, biggest oil fields in, in uh, Yemen. And Yemenis were able to retake them in one year. In one year, they were able to take, retake them all. And that killed Saudi Arabia because that means that even if the siege stays, Yemenis can now make their own uh, oil derivatives because they have the oil fields there. They have the refineries there. They can now basically just reopen their uh, industry. They can let people go back to the hospitals because at some point hospitals were shut down. People were not able to go and do dialysis. Women were dying in delivery rooms because there was no genera generators. There was no electricity for them. People were dying under the knife because the electricity would just turn off while the surgery was going on because there's no fuel. But now, after retaking these areas, it seems that the Yemenis are retaking their sovereignty back. And this is what Saudis were afraid of. Basically, they had a big monster that they created and they started fighting. But in the middle of the battle, that monster became a reality. And this is what the West is not understanding. And this is what Mohammed bin man is still failing to understand he is okay with making peace with the biggest enemy of the people in the region israel but he does not want to talk with his own family members in yemen that's quite crazy if you ask me but at the same time every word that that was mentioned in uh, the new york times was false because that has nothing, the war in Yemen has nothing to do with the uh, uh, nuclear talks with the JCPOA that, that were going on in Vienna. And if that were the case, then after the JCPOA was was actually signed between in 2015 between the uh, Iranian side and the U.S. side, then what was the point of the war if it was linked to making Iranians sign the deal? They did sign the deal. And if Iranians were so powerful as the West claims they are, why haven't they broken the sanctions, the system of sanctions? Why why haven't they been able to stop the increasingly, uh, the, the over-increasingly, if you will, spread of uh, military bases, of U.S. military bases all around them? Why were they not able to save their biggest, most important, prominent uh, uh, general, uh, Soleimani, from being assassinated in Iraq if they are that much of macho to be able to uh, intervene in Yemen? Look, Iran is a powerful nation, but 
to be honest with you, it's not as powerful as the empire, but they have the power of ideology to stay steadfast. For the past 43 years, Iran has been under sanctions, under brutal starvational sanctions, but they were able to make it because they are a solid country. Their culture is based on standing together and working in a community. The same thing goes for Yemen. The same thing goes for Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon. And this is what the neo-colonial powers are not understanding. Our ancestors were born here. This is our land. We don't mind dying to, for freedom and liberation. They think that they can buy us. They can't buy us. They thought that they could bomb us into acceptance. They couldn't. We wouldn't stop. I wouldn't stop for the world, even if they bomb me right now with my kids. We have to get you back on because I have to ask, too, about the recent Joe Biden calling and Saudi Arabia not picking up the phone. There's that. I got we got. Yeah, we're going to have to get that. you back on to talk more. Um, but the voice a wealth you guys of knowledge listening to is Marwa Osman, university lecturer, journalist and TV show host for Press TV's Mid East Stream. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas Bronzak, back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America, sitting atop the transmission Tower of Truth, taking down hypocrisy one lie at a time. In the ladies' corner, my trolls call me Moscow Mary or far-right Farron. But I'm your pierogi princess, journalist extraordinaire, American Farron Franzak. And in the left corner, I'm your indefatigable, your ever-vigilant, your burning ember in the darkness, your political analyst, Jamal Thomas. Which means you're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Franzak. Yeah. So far, so good. <laughs> So far, so good. Yeah! <laughs> yeah. We gotta get that as a clip, too. It's just too good. We're oh, going yeah. to Virginia. We're going to New York. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so far, so good today. Good show. Um, yeah. Headlines, I suppose. Yeah. And um, <laughs> then, what is it? GDI? Yeah. It came out? Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. What was it? What was the number? Mm-hmm. I was waiting on this number. Because they're going to... From their standpoint, oh, this is all Putin's fault. So, yeah, you just want to associate something that's um, monstrously bad, that's going to adversely affect all of these people. Got to pay for your values. Ain't that right, Jinsaki? So all of the American population is paying for your values, and those values have gotten us that much more um, closer to a conflict. And not just that. All of the things that are taking place in regards to gas, um, fertilizer, um, the famines that we're going to be seeing in various parts of the world. Lebanon. Lebanon. I mean, you think about all of this COVID lockdown stuff coming uh, down the line and then add a famine to it. It's not going to be us. People are going to go It's going to be other countries. Crazy. I mean, I guess my point is all of this stuff was understood to be a red line going back like 40 years. And so this idea, they did nothing. No, but they took one step after the next, conscious step after the next to provoke this conflict. Well, I know what you well, mean when well, you say they did nothing. They kicked it down the field. Yes. Yeah. They kicked it down the field. They did absolutely nothing. It all came to and a head. you have to remember, too, folks, you have Ukraine right now that's in the middle of a war. It's one of the world's number one grain producers. Mm-hmm. 40% and, of the world's wheat come from Ukraine and Russia. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a little bit more than that. But that number uh, is still monstrously but, I mean, high. But here in the United States, you actually had farmers here that were paid not to grow anything because of all of, like, the... 
Don't quote me on it, but it was basically because I guess the soil right? and what have you. I thought it was a sanctions where when Trump came in, Trump put sanctions on China. China that, responded. There was also COVID too, where yeah. they paid them to not grow to like help with the soil or something. Again, don't quote me because I'm not a farmer, farm but a farmer would know. Yeah. Um, but here we haven't been growing any of our own stuff. And then you're going to have it where these lockdowns are going to happen again. Ukraine's at war. We are we are headed for a f- major food shortage. And, you know, add, add another lockdown in there. People are going to go berserk. We're going headlong into a recession, to put it mildly. And yeah, there are going to be places that end up with food shortages. Um, you have shortages in regards to materials. Of course, gas. Germany said their industry would collapse. And there was this question um, that I asked Gerald about, hey, are these guys going to pay in rubles? He said, well, the gas is still flowing. They haven't switched over yet. That's probably going to be a contract dispute. But at some point, that's going to come to a head. That's not going to be able to go in perpetuity and everything else. The consumer index right here, 8.5% in the year through March. The fastest inflation rate since 1961, buoyed by rising gas costs and higher rents. Expenses that are stretching budgets and undermining confidence in the U.S. economy. No duh. No duh. Isn't it interesting how the poorer we've all gotten? Yes. The richer people in Congress have gotten? And by the way, the uh, Bidens, the Sockies, none of these people are going to be hit with this in a way that, let's say, my mom would be hit with it, who goes to the gas station and is like, okay, I'll just fill it up halfway because I can't afford to fill it up the full tank. She is not alone in that. That's what I mean. When I point out and I say, you know, what is the random American thinking in this particular moment? Are they thinking, hey, Ukraine matters so much that it needs to be in our orbit to such a degree that we're willing to pay $5,000 a year more. Or we're willing to take gas prices. We're willing to go into a recession. We're willing to have all of these consequences associated with that specific policy. Meaning Saki could say all she wants, oh, this is a Putin price hike. These were your choices. That's his border. That's his border, not ours. Ukraine and the idea we're going into this kind of weird wartime footing um, in an economic sense. And we're going to take all of these hits of attrition because they want to have this kind of geopolitical escapade. Yeah, it's outrageous. And I also, you know what? And it's sad to say, I also blame the American people. We got very, very complacent. Yeah. And we got very, very lazy. And we let a lot of this happen. You know, huh? Not touching that word again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we didn't have aphasia like Bruce Willis. We actually were lazy. Um, but no, we, we were lazy and we got comfortable. And we thought, okay, we're going to vote them in. They're going to do what they're going to do. And you know what? You constantly have to keep checking these people because Mitch McConnell, Pelosi, Feinstein, what is the average age that a, that a normal person retires? Yeah. Why is Chuck Grassley getting ready to, to run again at like 82 90? years old? Oh, 82. And Biden yeah. is, what, 80-something himself? He's going to be the oldest president? Yeah. I mean, these old fogies, get them out. You've made your money. Yeah, what source, more yeah. do you need to do? Well, it was clear that Nancy Pelosi was out of touch with her elective, meaning whatever you believe in regards to Democrat, Republican, and everything else. And you're looking at what is the Democratic constituency that's backing the Democrats, meaning where's the power in the party? It is not with Pelosi. I'm just sorry, it's not. No. And they tend to be massively out of touch with what those people want. I mean, it truly is what Roger clip. Stones does. It's yeah. the insiders and the outsiders. Yeah, it really is. And we're all the outsiders. And again, if you got to go back at the replay tonight at 6 p.m. on my YouTube channel, listen to what Alex, Alex Stein does, even just at the local level. And that's what we need to start doing at the local level, because that's where these people start getting a little bit of power. And then, oh, I've been the mayor for like the past four years. Maybe now, again, 
Pete Buttigieg, that's how it started. I've been the mayor of South Bend for four years. Maybe I can try to be the head of the D uh, the, of the DNC. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait my turn. Wait for Department of Transportation. Guy doesn't know a lick about roads or anything. <laughs> and you're going to have him head the whole thing? It's like having me, you know, in charge of the brain surgery unit what at a hospital. West I don't Bend? know anything. Is it called West Bend, Indiana, South or something Bend. like South, South Bend. Bend? South Bend had roads. That's what we were told. Yeah. South Bend had roads. That's yep, all you had, need. Yep. We had roads and yep, they, they fixed them. No, they did not. I drove on them daily. They did not. Um, but yeah, so we need to start. My point being is that we need to start holding these people accountable way more than we have because when we stop, and we kind of look the other way and we kind of just, you know, uh, well, hopefully they do it. No, we got to we got to stay on them because when you don't, this is what happens. I love this line. A substantial chunk of March inflation surge came because Russian invasion of Ukraine pushed fuel prices sharply higher last month with the U.S. average for a gallon of gasoline peaking at 433 on March 11th. All right. If we agree that that's true, then you have to get to this point of, OK, what provoked the invasion? That's the question, meaning that's where the fight takes place. The Biden administration has to go with this notion that Putin did this for no reason. There was no provocation. NATO was loving light. Um, knocking over the government of Ukraine was an issue. They have to basically eliminate that particular part of the conversation in order to justify this. Because the moment that you realize, so wait, we expanded NATO like that? I mean, we didn't help them fulfill or push them to fulfill the immense agreements? You mean all of them knew they weren't going to be a part of NATO? You didn't say the quiet part out loud and nobody went out the fact that they weren't going to be a part of NATO? Again, just kicking, you it, down deal with the, that. kicking it down the road. Yeah, you got to deal with that. And mm -hmm. meaning, my point is, that invasion, if that invasion is indeed provoked in the way I contend, then yeah, we're responsible. The, the Western policies in regards to Ukraine from the standpoint of the United States and NATO was infinitely responsible in creating the havoc that these guys are seeing now. And you have this kind of darkening economic picture that is clear as day that all of them can see it coming. And yet, their response is, Putin's fault. Mm -hmm. Putin's fault. We're yeah. blameless. We have no culpability in this at all. Nonsense. Yeah. Nonsense. And, and, and a lot of folks think, oh, it's going to be term limits. No, because term limits, then these people are going to get money even quicker and even in greater quantities. You need to take money out yes. of politics. Yes. That's what needs to happen. And you know what? Say what you will about Putin. You know, the one thing he did that he told all those oligarchs, you're either in business or you're in politics. You can't do both. And that's why a lot of them don't like him. And you know what? Trump came in and shook it up because he's like, hey, I know how to do business and I know how you've been corrupting the crap out of, of Congress. And here I am to throw a whole wrench in the whole thing. You know, you know, it's funny with Trump. Trump even came on and said, I paid some of these people. Yes. Like, think about that. He went to Clinton's wedding, yeah. his daughter's wedding. He's like, I gave some of these people money. I know what it means when I give them money and they pick up the phone. Like, that is a brutal, brutal hit to get across. These people are corrupt. But me, the blue collar billionaire is, you know. Yeah. I have so much money, I don't have to be corrupt. Joe Biden, oh, takes the train every day as a senator. <laughs> Salt Meanwhile, of the Meanwhile, Jimmy and Hunter are raking in the dough, folks. But Joe Biden's just like you. Scranton, PA. We're, you know, oh, me and Corn Pop at the pool. And oh, yeah. Give me a flippin' break. They know exactly what to say. And they just, and, and they love it, too. They, they, they get up there, they love the smell of their own farts. They're just like, oh my God, I can't believe, I can't believe they believe me. Yeah. And then after a while, then they get hot-headed and it's like, well, why don't you believe me? When you start asking questions and you know what? We need to keep asking questions like what Alex Stein said. Oh, skeletons in your closet. I'm bringing a whole graveyard, baby. That's how it works, bucko. So yeah. 
Jamar already hinted at the uh, 8.5% consumer price index. So (laughs) thanks, Putin. Thanks, COVID. Thanks, whatever the next excuse is. Really appreciate it. Well, President Joe Biden, though, he's going to visit Iowa today to announce that he's going to suspend a federal rule preventing the sale of higher ethanol blend gasoline this summer as his administration tries to tamp down gas prices. Most gasoline sold in the U.S. is blended with 10% ethanol, but the EPA will issue an emergency waiver to allow widespread sale of 15% ethanol blend. Biden and administration officials say the move will save drivers an average of 10 cents per gallon at 2,300 gas stations, mostly in the Midwest, the South, and Texas. Mind you, what is ethanol made of? Corn. Yeah. Oh, add that to the food shortage. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point. I mean, you can't have it both ways, right? If you're yeah. doing it, if you're eating it or using it for gas, you can only do one. Can't do both. Exactly. And you're gonna yeah, you're gonna either have to eat or, or or drive. Take your pick. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is refusing to throw support behind his GOP colleagues' calls for articles of impeachment to be brought against U.S. President Joe Biden. This following up a clip from Rep. Reg Murphy argued that U.S. lawmakers' hesitance to form a united front on the introduction of impeachment articles stemmed from a lack of confidence in U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris. Indian Prime Minister Modi and U.S. President Joe Biden had quite the candid exchange of views on Russia's war in Ukraine at a virtual summit Monday, after which the U.S. said, quote, India will make its own judgments on the crisis, but added that if India saw the tight links between China and Russia, it will obviously impact their thinking. Duh. As Jamar would say, duh. Modi in the meeting said he suggested direct talks between Putin and Zelensky, adding that he found the situation in Ukraine very worrying. Conveniently. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said the U.S. is monitoring what he described as a rise in human rights abuses in India by some officials. Blinken didn't elaborate, though. He never does. Blinken's remarks comes days after U.S. Representative Ilhan Omar questioned the alleged reluctance of the U.S. government to criticize Indian Prime Minister Modi's government on human rights. Forget the ones that we're doing here, though. Not a big deal. The neo-fascist Azov Battalion has accused the Russian armed forces of using chemical weapons in the port city of Mariupol Monday. However, the mayor of Mariupol reported that the claim was still unconfirmed. He added that they would investigate the scene before making a conclusion. In your business and tech news, billionaire entrepreneur Elon Musk announced he will not be joining the board of directors of Twitter, but said he could work with the company on a variety of issues, quote, without limitation. According to the amended SEC filing, Musk will be able to discuss the company's product and services and mergers, along with the board or elements of its management team. It also says Musk can voice his opinions through social media or other channels. Pop culture. Britney Spears confirmed Monday she's expecting her third child with her new husband, Sam Ashgari. It remains unclear whether the two were married. However, the pop singer does refer to him as her husband. Spears made the revelation in an Instagram post detailing that the pair made the discovery shortly after the pop icon noticed a slight weight change. And your crazy story, Monday a jury was selected in Fairfax, Virginia to hear the long-anticipated libel suit against Johnny, or excuse me, libel suit Johnny Depp filed against his ex-wife 
Amber Heard, whom he accuses of falsely portraying him as a domestic abuser. Depp sued Heard over an op-ed piece she wrote in the Washington Post back in 2018, in which she referred to herself as a public figure representing domestic abuse. The article doesn't mention Depp by name, but he says it clearly refers to allegations she made in other forums that she suffered physical abuse at his hands. Depp denies the accusations and the lawsuit is taking place here outside of DC because of the location of the Washington Post. Your holidays today, National Licorice Day, National Grilled Cheese Day, International Be Kind to Lawyers Day, Equal Pay Day, and National Only Child Day, AKA Jamaral Day. Today in history, back in 81, NASA launched the first space shuttle, Columbia, to orbit Earth. Also that same year, great boxer Joe Lewis passed away. In 1961, Russian cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin became the first human to orbit space. And in 1892, a patent for the typewriter was issued in the United States. Those are your headlines for Tuesday, April 12th, 2022. One is amazing. Huh? I mean, so the impeachment one, I mean, we, we had to go to Colleen, but the impeachment one is interesting to me. I mean, like, my thought was that the Republicans were using Hunter Biden to crawl their way to Joe Biden, meaning the more we pull out information about Hunter, the more we'll be able to elicit for Joe. And if we can find texts and emails where it came across as if Joe Biden was receiving money and everything else, then at that point, you can start having investigations about Joe Biden. That was what I thought they were doing, because that's the only thing that makes sense. I didn't think they were just trying to gratify themselves by attacking Hunter. Um, is that what's going on? And Kevin McCartney doesn't want to get behind it. I find it to be really interesting. I mean, depending upon how Congress changes, I think we're getting this kind of hint at what it's going to look like and what these guys may want to do. And honestly, if they have pulled out the Joe Biden stuff to the point where they're thinking, hey, it looks like the president was taking money in a way that the president wasn't being honest about, then yeah, that on some level kickstarts an investigatory process. I mean, how could they say no, considering that their argument for Trump was, well, we don't know if he was working with the Russians. We have to investigate. So uh, it's not surprising that he's not calling for an impeachment. Now, why don't you think he's calling for it? I'm curious. Um, so two things. The first thing is, is that... With Bill Clinton? Uh, no. With with all of the impeachment proceedings that happened with Donald Trump, Democrats kind of ruined the whole idea of what an impeachment really is supposed to do. Because it looks retaliatory, like purely and yes, political. Exactly. Yeah, and it looks, so. it, it's gone from, you know, again, you had Bill Clinton who lied under oath. Very much an impeachable offense. You had Andrew Johnson after Abraham Lincoln for, I can't remember what it was, but it was something to the effect of, um, it was not good. It was treasonous or it was something to that effect. And then who was the last one? Yeah, the Clinton. Yeah, I think that was. Well, Trump was the last one, but Bill Clinton. Yeah, then Trump, yeah. So, and also too, they wanted it where Trump went down as a president that was impeached. So that's number one. So, and Republicans looked at that and found it just very frivolous and very political, which again, that's not what the impeachment is supposed to do. Number two, the Republicans have Democrats right where they want them. They have them right by the cojones. They're not going to want to bring out an impeachment trial to bring sympathy to Joe Biden. You already look at him and you saw the party where he's, uh, and then, Barack, Barack, and he's like, get the hell away from me, you <laughs> Who weirdo. Who is this guy? Right. Yeah, Who's bring him guy? back to the home and let him have his ice cream. You know, he's already gotten enough sympathy because of that. Yeah. Um, which, mind you, he kind of deserves all that's coming to him, let's be honest. Basically, let him flounder. Yeah. Let him flounder. And if they were to bring about an impeachment trial, A, it would look retaliatory, just yeah. like the Democrats, and B, 
it would garner sympathy and they know they've got the House, the Senate, and then in two years, they're going to get the presidency hook, they line, and sinker. Supreme Court. Yeah. You know, and then, and yeah, they already have the Supreme Court. And I just think that, um, it's like, yeah, why? It's like, why would we do that? Exactly. Why would we do that? It's and, like, and you guys you know are being what? And over. that's the other thing is, is right now too, they have Democrats in such a stranglehold that they can start throwing all the crazy, the child grooming stuff yeah. and this stuff and that stuff. And people are going to be like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> look what they're doing. Yeah. I don't like that. My gas prices are high. And now they're grooming my kids. You know, like I think they're, they gonna, they're in a great spot. Yeah. I mean, and it's a spot. Honestly, I would say Democrats put themselves in. I yes. mean, if you think about it, like you had the and House. Mind you, Republicans have put themselves in the same situation in the past. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Let's just be fair. I mean, yeah, yeah, the House. I mean, the Tea Party stuff was insane. Some yeah. of the stuff that the Tea Party members were saying was just absurd. Yeah, you're Where, like, what's her name? You... I am not a witch. Like starting her video, um, Christine O'Donnell, I believe her last name is, where she was like, I'm not a witch. And she has to go and do a campaign ad talking about she's not a witch because they got quarter saying she was like witchcraft or something like that. It's just very weird stuff. Some of the um, things that people were saying. Louis Gomer. Like, these are the guys that were coming in doing that thing. However, the Democrats' problem is you took the House, you took the Senate, and you took the presidency. And you told the American public that we are the adults in the room. We are the people that are going to get these things accomplished. We're going to deal with COVID. We're going to deal with um, $15 down minimum wage to ensure that people have more money. These are heroes. Like, I mean, this was their framing of the world. And then to come in and not do that stuff looks Bad. Well, I think so also, bad. too, with, with Murphy, where he's talking about drafting articles of impeachment. Yeah. Like, I completely agree with anarcho-libertarian in the chat. Dems will remove Biden themselves before anybody else tries to impeach him. That's one. I yeah. totally agree with that. Number two, I always go back to what Roger Stone said. There's the insiders and the outsiders. The insiders don't even look at the D and the R next to their name. They are all on the same team. And Kevin McCarthy knows yeah, they're all, we're all going to oust him anyway. So why, why are you wasting your time? Yeah. However, I'd be interested to look up and see if Rep Murphy is up for a reelection. Interesting. You think he might be doing it in order to kind of get and more you know bona fides and more attention? While you keep talking, I'm going to look it up now. Well, Rep Murphy. Let's do this. You guys are listening to Fault Lines, Thomas, Franzak. We're coming back with Carleen Rowley. We're going to be having a conversation about the Gretchen Whitmer case. Um, of course, those people were acquitted or, for that matter, hung jury. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas Franzak, back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Radio Sputnik. You're listening to Fault Lines. I'm Farron Franzak with my co-host, Jamarl Thomas. We're going to get to our guest right away, but looked it up. Yep. I was right. I was right. Gregory Murphy of North Carolina is up for re-election. And maybe that's why he's touting that. Shocking. North Carolina, very red state, near Madison Cawthorn. You have all the all that going on. Trump was just in North Carolina. This is basically red he's meat. He's going to ride that wave, yeah, baby. This is basically red meat. Oh, we need to impeach Joe Biden. You're going with me? Yeah, that's yep. what that is. And Trump was just there last weekend, folks. So this it's, is him basically well, kicking up dust in order for his own election exactly. potentials. His, his election is this November. Interesting, interesting. Good on you for that. And he's on the he's on the ballot in the Republican primary, May seventeenth, twenty twenty two. May seventeenth. Oh, this is coming up recent. This is yep. in, in a month. So or he two. has some. He has somebody running against him. Oh so wow! Again, that's that's the first thing you always got to look at. Folks. He's going into primaries always, immediately. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's meaning he's got a challenger, a Democratic challenger. Yeah. Which is where I'm saying, folks, when they start saying stuff, and a lot of times they start saying stupid stuff, look up and see when their election is. That's all I'm saying. Very good point. It's literally like clockwork. Very good point. Literally like clockwork. Very good point. Investigative journalists 
Brian Franzak gets to the bottom of that. Oh, I just watched way too much House of Cards. <laughs> I just realized that it literally transfers into... Oh, yeah. It definitely basic. does. It truly does. Yeah, it's like a one-to-one. Along with Veep. <laughs> See, I haven't watched Veep. I could never get into oh. Veep. I could never get into Veep. You see House of Cards where they're very methodical in their yeah. thinking as far as like Congress and the Senate. And then you see Veep of the vice president and the president, how dumb they are. You literally see both spectrums. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Listen to this. Let's bring in our guests. Um, you guys are listening to Fault Lines. And let's, okay, things got a little screwed up. Let's do this. Let's bring in our guests. We're joined with Colleen Rowley. Colleen Rowley. Here we are. Colleen Rowley is a lawyer, retired FBI agent, and former MPLS legal counsel who wrote a memo for the FBI's pre-9-11 failures and testified to Senate Judiciary Committee. She was also a Democratic former Labor Party candidate for Congress in Minnesota. Colleen, thank you for joining us, uh, especially on short notice. You were able to come in from yesterday. How are you doing today? Good morning. Fine. We're having a hard time letting winter go in Minnesota, but other than that, we're fine. <laughs> are you? I hear you. I'm a Chicago girl, so I completely understand. It Although been... you guys have it way worse than Chicago oh, yeah. sometimes. And it hasn't been too bad here, so I can't necessarily complain about that. My uncle, he's in Florida. He'd be like, oh, it's so cold down here, and it's like 65 degrees. It's like, dude, just stop. <laughs> Just stop. Um, but I wanted to get into some of the things that have been taking place. And one of the big ones is Gretchen Whitmer and the people who were basically the big splashing headline. They tried to kidnap the governor, basically. That was the big headline. And when you find out, though, and you look well, the into question the question is, is who is they? Who is they? Right. Yeah. Because a lot of those people, most of those people in the room were basically spooks. Meaning you had all of these people who were informers and you had basically more informers, if I'm not mistaken, than the actual people who were supposed to commit the crime. And so when people started looking at the details, they were like, well, wait a minute. Would these guys have ever done this if the FBI hadn't got involved pushing them forward? And based on what the jury came up with, with two being acquitted, two being um, held in a hung jury, the jury came to the answer of no, they wouldn't have done this if the feds hadn't basically pushed them to do it. What is your take on this? How do you, I mean, are you shocked at the verdict of this first? And let's start there. Were you shocked at the verdict? Yeah, I'm shocked. Um, a little bit surprised about this verdict because for basically since 9-11 or a year or two after 9-11, the um, infiltration of various terrorist, quote unquote, Islamic terrorist groups with, in, with informants, with undercovers, has been standard operating procedure. And none of the entrapment defenses that I'm aware of, even in cases that were as egregious as the Michigan one, where the informants were just going across all lines to uh, coerce and, and pressure uh, the person to say, oh, look, here's a bomb, you know, you press it, and then, you know, the person would stupidly, these were... These were uh, usually vulnerable people, you know, drug addicts, uh, et cetera, people that were very poor. But they've been doing this now, and, and it was called Islamophobia. There's actually a book written by Trevor Aronson about all those stings that were just really uh, atrocious tactics on the part of FBI law enforcement. And none of the entrapment defenses that I'm aware of have worked. Now, in this case... Again, it's a pretty egregious case where there were 12, I want to say at least a dozen informants and then undercovers. And at every critical juncture where they were supposedly casing uh, or doing surveillance or doing their planning meetings, the, the, those uh, situations were always more uh, 
FBI informants and they were actual target subjects. And by the way, this is nothing uh, different from what happened in COINTELPRO. During those periods of time, uh, when there were anti-Vietnam meetings, for instance, protesting of Vietnam, and people would go to the meetings later under freedom of information, they would find out that there were more plants, informants in those meetings than there were actual activists. So this is, this again, it's not a new tactic. It's been, the reason it's so uh, attractive to FBI agents is that as long as the entrapment uh, defense does not work and juries don't believe that a person can be easily pressured to do something if they have, you know, their so-called leaders, the leaders are telling them to do it and they think that their buddies and their leaders uh, want to do it. And as long as the jury doesn't realize how easy it is to get people to do these things, then the entrapment defense doesn't work. So this case was surprising, and I think there's a couple of reasons for uh, why the jury um, uh, might have decided to acquit two and a hung jury on the other two. Um, and, and by the way, two of the federal defendants apparently pled guilty, and one of them is, is, uh, is sentenced to six years. So the, the guy that they pressured to plead guilty and then testify against the others, he's got a six-year sentence. And meanwhile, his, his the friends he, that he testified against uh, have seemed to have gotten off, although they will undoubtedly retry the, the two that were hung, the jury was hung on, they will uh, try to retry them. And what they're going to tr- probably, in all likelihood, do is try to do a much more uh, careful job of jury selection to try to weed out anyone who has any uh, inkling of um, uh, anti, you know, a criticism of the government, for instance. If you criticize the government for COVID policy or anything, uh, they will try to weed all of those people off the jury. And I'm sure that the, the prosecutors are being, uh, what's the word, they're being, uh, they're being uh, scrutinized for not having done a good enough job of selecting the jury to, to eliminate anyone who would have sympathy with these, um, uh, uh, whatever, militia, you know, they were had, they had some slight ties, I think, to militia. They were white males, uh, anti-government. And by the way, the, the funny thing with these people, I didn't realize this, is a lot of them had attended Black Lives Matter uh, uh different, uh, you know, marches, etc. So it wasn't like they were totally right wing. They, w- they kind of were across the board, but they were critical of government in different ways and critical of, of policing, etc. But they, they actually, uh, their, their stances and ideology seem to be to kind of run through both, both extremes. I want to play somewhat of a devil's advocate on this one because I'm interested so um, putting aside, you know, how the FBI, you know, for example, where there was a number of, you know, mentally disabled um, uh, Middle Eastern kids that were, you know, basically framed for trying to, you know, start a terrorist attack and, you know, were kind of, um, uh, what would be the word, brainwashed by, by FBI agents and individuals. Um, I, I want to go separate from that and just focus on the Michigan one. Because... You know, it's it's so interesting to me that here you have these FBI agents that like, you know, for example, it was these these the the Wolverine watchers, I believe they were called and are the Wolverine watchmen. 
And, you know, like you said, they had they had gone to Black Lives Matter rallies. They had gone to both sides of the spectrum here. And clearly there was some kind of anger or resentment with where Michigan was, where the country was going, what have you. Um, whatever their political beliefs are, you know, we won't get into that. But you have it where these FBI agents go in. You even had the one guy where there's an audio recording of him making a bomb and he got the plans from an FBI agent. My question is, is why would the FBI like give these kinds of plans knowing that these people might do it? Is it like to gauge like, I guess the temperature of these people, is it to see how far they'll go? Is it to, you know, I mean, like my question is, is why? I mean, because what if, what if something would have gone down and people would have gotten seriously hurt because the FBI was playing around and thought, hey, let's just see how far it'll go. I mean, that's just to me what doesn't register, like, why? Yeah, I, here's what I think. For starters, with that many sources, a dozen or more undercovers and informants. The FBI feels like it's in full control of this. So they don't think there's any way that something could happen outside of their purview and what they would already have control over. Now, the real incentive here is to make the case and get the evidence, the strongest evidence possible for trial. And so, yes, they do. In most of those prior ones, they they would actually have some kind of simulated bomb and they would get the person to say, oh, you're pressing that, you know, pressing it down. Most juries are not going to understand what happened in the lead up to that moment. They're just going to say, oh, look, this person's willing to, you know, press the plunger. And so that's what, what's happened. Again, this is nothing new. This has been going on uh, without seamlessly. And it, I'll say one thing. When it, when it kind of transitioned from just targeting Islamic, uh, you know, people, I don't even think all, not all of them were extremists. They were, again, alcohol and drug addicts. And, you know, some of them might have been. Some of them might have been had some extreme uh, ideologies. Okay, I, for sure. Some of them might have even committed the crime without any FBI uh, coercion. That's tr- that's true. But then a lot of them really were pushed into this. And I think the main thing that people don't understand is if you if you allow this this tactic of of using uh, your informants to become leaders of the of the group. That you know you'll get almost ninety some percent that will go along with it. Is do you, does the FBI? Do you guys get training on that of how to like become like a cult leader or something? <laughs> you know, because 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 then I, I also want to ask you this question. This actually became worse and worse after I retired, and the reason it became worse and worse is because it worked. It worked. All those, you know, we're talking twenty years now. Mm-hmm. Worked really well. The FBI's had its budgets, uh, you know, soar up. They've almost every person who would have been a case, uh, the case agent of these stings was promoted. They're all the they're the the strocks that ended up in power in the FBI, and so you know this worked for everybody uh, across the board. And when things work, there is no turning back. You know, you know the church committee. If you go back to the COINTELPRO era when they were doing virtually the same same things, and, and you know it was point points is to disrupt the groups, 
the different groups, the feminists, the anti-war, was to disrupt them. So they were doing the exact same things. And they were planting ideas and getting leaders to go further than they would have, etc. So this was going on. Here's what stopped it. The church committee stopped it. So you had something that happened in, in 76, 70 to 70, you know, 75, 76, and they actually put a restriction on the FBI that you could not, um, you could not recruit and operate people that had a leader role in the group. Okay, so if you, you, you could operate people at the lowest levels who were just listening about what was happening, but you were not to get people who were actually at the top of the group. That was one of the major things of the church committee. Well, after, after 9-11, little by little, it looks like all of those attorney general guidelines that were put in place by the church committee all went up in smoke. For, and, you know, for starters, you didn't even need any level of probable cause or even suspicion, whether reasonable suspicion. You didn't even need that to target a group. So if an, anybody came into the FBI and says, hey, you know, my brother-in-law's uh, meeting with some guys, that's, that was it. Then you, if you wanted to target them, you you didn't need any level of suspicion. And, and by the way, if you look at uh, Facebook and social media, that's if they look at social media and they see anyone criticizing the government, that's fine. Then they could start their operation. The church committee uh, restrictions, the attorney general guidelines, would not have allowed that. In fact, a lot of people uh, complain that those attorney general restrictions were too restrictive of the FBI. And that's, you know, the McVeigh bombing of the Oklahoma um, courthouse. You know, people said afterwards, they even criticized the FBI director, you've got to loosen up those attorney general guidelines because the FBI has got its hands tied. So that was actually on the other extreme. And then, of course, after 9-11, that was the pretext that said, we're doing away with them entirely. Mm-hmm. You know, some, some law professors said, can't there be a happy medium? <laughs> so there, there are ways to have happy mediums here, but, you know, none of that happened. Basically so a I, middle ground between those two yeah. things. There's um, another case that's coming out with Proud Board leader, Ontario, to make your point, actually. And the reason why the leader thing is a problem, I want you to get into that just a little bit. Mainly that if the FBI is controlling somebody who's leader of an organization, that person is going to be making choices, decisions that are going to get people implicated in certain crimes, meaning that person is telling people what to do. And so the FBI is in charge of the main guy. Then where's the culpability in this? Doesn't the FBI have some level of culpability in regards to those people doing whatever that leader ends up telling those people to do? And, and you also have it around all the January 6th right there. and people asking. That's exactly where I was Ray going. Epp. So right here, Terrio, probably leader Enrique Terrio, Enrique mm-hmm. Terrio, who was they Reuters runs an article saying he was a prolific informer for law enforcement. Well, now the Washington Post and mind you, hang on really quick, Proud Boys. They said how they were all all white guys. Here they have him being an informant and being the head of the Proud Boys as a Mexican black man. Wow! <laughs> wow! Yeah. And prolific inform. And so this part, it says, in addition to the plea by Proud Boy member Charles Donahoe, in addition to earlier plea by another defendant, an Alabama member of the Oath Keepers pleaded guilty last month to seditious conspiracy, admitting to taking part in the plan to develop by the group founder, Stuart Rhodes, to oppose by force the inauguration of President Donald Trump, including taking part in the Capitol breach. Now, Terrio gets added to right here. Terrio pleaded not guilty earlier this week to charges of conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding with six under felonies 
He has been ordered to held in jail until the trial, along with six other defendants. So they're basically saying there's a menu of all of these people who are involved in it. What I remember, though, in the very beginning of this, when the January 6th commission started, the FBI came out and said, look, we had plenty of spooks that were, let's say, in these groups. And we had plenty of people that had infiltrated these groups. And they were very clear in saying that they did not have a pre-planned, um, let's say, go at the Capitol in that way. That it, it happened organically, not necessarily something that they planned in the beginning. Is this just a change in regards to the investigation? Because this seems to contradict what the FBI um, was saying prior. Because the FBI, again, if it had infiltrated these groups, looks like it would have been able to pick up on the fact that these people were planning to raid the Capitol. Why the, dis- why the difference? Yeah, it's hard to know. Uh, Like you say, there is just plain old incompetence. And a lot of the informants are not true blue. They are uh, double, you know, if you were talking about a foreign country, you would call them double agents. They play both sides. So that's always a danger is that your informant, unless you're really sure, uh, they they can play both sides. And this this is very, very common. And so they may not tell everything to the FBI, even stuff they know, uh, if, as long as it's a, 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 an informant who is uh, more like a listening post. They used to call them listening posts, as opposed to a leader who's outright encouraging and inciting things himself at the top. Um, so, you know, a sting operation, a lot of them did go too far. They were people that were inciting and encouraging, pr- providing the plans, you know, except doing everything but uh, that last moment where they show the the, uh, the defendant doing something wrong, you know, because up till that point, a lot of it was orchestrated. However, um, in the right kind of case, even if you were trying to do the job as diligently and accurately as possible to try to prevent uh, things, you would have the problem that the people you recruit to, to give you information, if they have any loyalty at all to a cause, may not be completely honest with it with the FBI. And if they're getting a lot of money, by the way, they have an, a strong incentive to incur, to uh, exaggerate. Okay, so they're always got an incentive to exaggerate. If, if for some reason you plant someone who actually is com- is not committed to the cause, they have a huge incentive to, to exaggerate because that's how they're paid. You know, so there's all kinds of issues with this kind of operation. And like I said, there's happy mediums here of how it should be done. But for the longest time, and you go back through history, this bad history has repeated over and over. And after 9-11, it gave the... Uh, you know, some of this does fall on the juries, too, because the juries were not, you know, they're all part of the uh, terrorism hysteria, and in, in some cases now the anti, uh, some people are obviously on the left have the anti-white supremacist hysteria, and so they would be, they won't even uh, gauge or judge the facts of a case, all they care about is that, you know, this seems to be going against what I, you know, my criticism as well. So th- there's there's that. Um, like I said, the prosecutors are going to be beating themselves up on picking of the jury because you have a polarized country right now. And they're going to be, if they retry these two, they're going to be trying to keep out everybody who would basically have any opinion at all, and certainly any opinion on politics or government operations. They'll be trying to keep them out. 
and they'll they'll be trying to pick people who are biased. Uh, you know what I always call the Trump derangement syndrome, which now uh, <laughs> afflicts you know almost all of your your Democrat partisans and liberals. They'll be trying to pick people, and in, and qu- their questioning, their voir dire questioning, will be gauged to trying to figure out who are those people that are already biased for us. I mean, this is this is a game. You know, we, we our jury system. Our jury system is, you know, in, in the many ways, kind of a necessary evil. It might be the best way that we, we can have to reach facts, but it isn't perfect. And a lot of this jury selection is the gaining of the whole thing. And, uh, you know, right now, in a polarized uh, country that we have, uh, real polarized, now jury selection becomes everything. And I don't think it, this this case will serve really as a deterrent to stop the stings, the stings that go too far where you actually do put too much pressure on somebody to commit a crime. You're not accomplishing anything, by the way. You know, from a standpoint of crime reduction or terrorism reduction, you're not st- you're not helping the cause by pressuring or or uh, coercing someone to commit a crime that they wouldn't have done. You're Doing nothing. You know, you think about all the millions of dollars that have been poured into the FBI into salaries. Well, like the the one person that I think of out of Michigan was White Boy Rick, where it was Rick Worshey Jr. They the FBI was using him as an informant as informant since he was fourteen years old, trying to get the cocaine lords, and he was jailed when he was seventeen. The jury convicted him on all counts. He finally was released after 33 years on good behavior. But here they use this young kid and then something happens. They plant, they plant drugs on him and then boom, he's done. You know, it's really a sad case with, with a lot of what happens with the FBI. This is really sad. And, and a lot of the, the informants that they're exploiting, there's a lot of immigrants, for instance, that are being, uh, you know, even... Even people in the mosque, when they first had the post-9-11, they were going into the mosque and recruiting the, the heads of the mosque in some cases who didn't, didn't necessarily want to do this, but they had no choice. So this kind of pressure that they put on uh, people, and especially like immigrants who are trying to get their green cards and things like that, I mean, it's, it's really sad and deplorable. But as I said, until there is an account- accountability moment, I don't think the Gretchen Whitmer case will be that moment. It's got to be something like the church committee that actually someone says, hey, this is really bad and wrong. We've been going too far. We have, this doesn't help the cause. It doesn't help reduce crime. And, and it actually is serving to make more people. It's actually helping, uh, uh, what's the word, make more extremists because people now get mad and a lot of them, are, you know, I'll give a good example is, is McVeigh is a great example. McVeigh sees a Waco happen. So when you when something bad happens on the part of law enforcement, this now encourages, encourages other people to turn into extremists. What was the one before that, um, before Waco? The, the siege up in, wasn't it Montana or Idaho or? Exactly. Uh, Weaver, the Weaver standoff. Yes, yes. Thank you. That's where it originally, it, that was the original point. And then that got the guy at Waco, you know, all hocked up. And then that led to Timothy McVeigh and the Michigan militiamen. I mean, yeah, it's, and then they say it's, it's white supremacy or something like that to kind of, you know, act like, even though they've been having this string follow each other and people start getting 
crazy about it, which they have every right to, you know, but. That's right. That's right. You're right. And it's, it's, we know about those big cases because they received a lot of press. Can you imagine what it is now? And again, this is why the country is very polarized. And, you know, it's not, I would go back. This is not a right left uh, situation, although that's what our media tries to tell us it is. Uh, I don't know if you if you saw this, but like Jimmy Dore actually interviewed one of the Boogaloo boys. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the truth is, this guy is not monolithic. He has opinions on both sides of things, the Boogaloo boy. Of course, Jimmy Dore got uh, got uh, smeared as saying, oh, you've, got, you've turned right wing. And no, that's not true at all. There are a lot of people now who have a lot of questions about government. And instead of addressing those questions in an honest, authentic way, no, our media, connected to corporate media, tries to paint this all in a very simplistic, you know, right versus left. And, you know, unfortunately, this means it's going to continue. And you know what? I I couldn't agree more because I do think that you need to sometimes sit down with these people and figure out why they think the way that they do. Instead of trying to catch them up in a crime or what have you, I think sitting down, okay, where, you know, if if they would have sat down and talked with Timothy McVeigh or, you know, some of these other people like like up in that Weaver case up there or even in Waco, um, you, I mean, even if you see, I don't know if you've seen the Netflix series, uh, Waco, um, where they talk with the FBI, um, negotiator who was talking with, um, David Koresh. Um, but he was able to kind of get in his mind and think of where, how he was feeling. But then obviously he kind of went a little bit back crazy at the end of it. But I do think talking to some of these people rather than just trying to off them or what have you, um, because, yeah, people have opinions and there's a reason why they come to certain things, whether it be their upbringing, whether it be what they see on TV with a situation like a Waco. Yeah, it all needs to kind of be. And even more of a root cause is our corporate media is is hurting the polarization. It's actually increasing this extremism uh, with what they're doing. So um, if we could somehow, I don't think it's possible to get, once this kind of goes overboard, it's really hard to bring back. But we're hearing, we're being barraged on all sides, and all it's doing is polarizing further and and actually is causing more of the problem. Colleen, thank you for this. I appreciate the, always appreciate these conversations. Colleen Rowley, she is a lawyer, retired FBI agent and former MPLS legal counsel who wrote a memo for FBI's pre-9-11 failures and testified to Senate Judiciary Committee. She was also a Democratic Farmer Labor Party candidate for Congress in Minnesota. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas. I could talk to her for hours. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) she's very easy to talk to. She's awesome. Um, She's been joining us for a while. But you guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas, Ron Zach. Back in a minute, we'll be taking your calls. The number is 202-521-1320. That is 202-521-1320. Back in a moment. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my lovely co-host, Farron Franzak, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. This is that special moment, the wrap, the wrap. We do want to get to some breaking news really quick, though. Um, We do have at least six people have been shot and multiple explosives found at a New York City subway station. 
Um, preliminary reports indicated that five, excuse me, sorry, five people were shot. A law enforcement official says the police were seeing seeking a man with a gas mask and an orange construction vest. The official says um, New York Times has nothing on an explosive or even a suspicious device. But as breaking news like this happens, you get a lot of news that just gets bursted out there and then stuff gets retracted. But yeah. wow. we will keep an eye on that for you for the next eight minutes. I mean, either way, like, apparently people got shot. I mean, the guy's in a gas mask, and the question is, why is he in a gas mask? Like, there's all yeah. sorts of questions with yeah. this, right? Um, but look, we have a caller. We have Tarif in New Orleans first. Tarif, what's going on, my man? How's it going this morning? morning? Okay, first, I'd like to say free Jordan Assange. I have five quick comments. First, okay, um, free Jordan Assange. Um, here we go. Um, the the rubles at 71, 71 um, rubles to $1 now, which is doing better than before. Um Ramsey Kudrov, the leader of the Chechens, say is about, things is about to get interesting in Ukraine for the next week or two. The third comment, um, the situation in the Avzov the steel plant, you have approximately 3,000 personnel is inside the bunker system, which the Russians try to dig, dig them out. Some of them is the Avzov's battalion militia people. NATO uh, mercenaries, and um, they also speculation about there might be NATO and French intelligence people in there too. A person, the head of the French intelligence, was let go March the thirty first. The rumor was being that Eric Vidou didn't um, pull out intelligence, intelligence officers and mercenaries from out of um, Ukraine, but right now it's just speculation. Yeah, the speculation. I mean, Russia is calling them mercenaries. Uh, um, so, yeah, they're not even touching the NATO stuff. But please, keep going. Yeah, and they won't be protected by Geneva, so they can, you know, they can hang them if they want. My full combination, my full comment is that um, they have, they have uh, Zero Hage put out a tweet saying that you're about to have another um, shipping problem coming out of China, the Shanghai area. Because ninety percent of the uh, trucks in China in the in the city, the port city, is um, not being operated because of the lockdown. So you have cargo containers is piling up. So you will have you will have less items coming to the United States and through in different ports. So um, that's going to affect our supply chain. In my last comment, some someone or some group sold off a large portion of the stock in Cummins Bank. In, in, in Deutsche Bank in Germany, sending shockwaves to the European market. Nobody knew who it is, but yeah, whatever the, the price of gas and all that going up, yeah. As always, my man, thank you, Tarif. Thank you, Tarif. Um, let's let's head over to Adam in Virginia. Adam, what's going on this morning? Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I would love to expand a little bit on uh, what uh, Ms. Rowley was talking about, how you need to break down the sort of psychological walls that we have about being able to have conversations with people we automatically judge are going to be different from us. Um, so let's see. I, I came up with at least part of a statement thinking in historically how we have to figure out how to evolve our own psychology. And maybe one of the best methods is uh, a little more Socrates. A little more Socrates in our mental diets will go a long way in improving intellectual health. Absolutely. And I also think, too, I don't know if, if this would apply to it, but having a little more empathy. 
I think having empathy also goes a long way as well. A lot more empathy, yeah. You know, not 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 sympathy, but just empathy and understanding. You know, if you if the shoe was on your foot, and seeing you know what it would be like, you know, or you know where these people come from. So, Adam in Virginia, love it. Finally, David in South Carolina. David, what's going on? Yeah, I wanted to uh, talk about the French election. So, Ooh, go for it. For all my friends, I have about twenty good friends who I keep in touch with, and I'll be in France next month visiting them. But uh, every single one of them voted for Mélenchon. Oh, the left wing candidate. I asked. Yes, the left wing candidate who he was so close. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but uh, half of them are going to stay home uh, in two weeks on Sunday, and the other half are very begrudgingly voting for uh, Macron. None of them are going to vote for Le Pen. She's really, she has a stink on her. It's not unwarranted. I I think if I were to, you know, have a crystal ball, or I would put money on Macron winning, but being a lot closer than it was in 2017. 2017, it was a landslide. Mm-hmm. It's going to be closer to the 55-45 range. Yeah, he beat her by 30 points last time. Yeah, from your standpoint, why do you think that's the case? Do you think it's just the inflation, the the, um, the the issues associated, maybe potentially immigration? Do you think it's the war? What do you think is the main rationale that the people are basically taking that shift or that change? I mean, people are not, people have not been happy with Macron for the last basically five years. He, you know, was a banker. People, uh, I think we're kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt. Now it's just uh, very much like... They just are too scared of the of uh, Le Pen, and like I said, it's not unwarranted. Mm-hmm. Would, would you would you say that they're they're scared of Le Pen after seeing a guy like Trump? Yeah, gotcha. For sure, and also her dad. I mean, her dad, fanatic. Oh, really? Yeah, he was. Yeah, big time. And that's what what's his name? That's what um mm-hmm. the gentleman this morning said. Kind of made the point of saying she can't get herself away from that. Has she tried to distance herself from her dad and from that particular? She hasn't. Okay. So she's like just plowed straight in. It would be like Donald Trump Jr. running and being like, my dad, my dad, yeah. my dad. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. So they can't, okay. She can't distance herself from that then. Yeah. Um, David, thank you, my man. I appreciate it. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, because she's, it seems that her political fortunes are stuck in this notion of, I need to at the very least move some level to get the public to think that I've mm-hmm. changed or that something is different between, let's say, myself versus the uh, political persuasion of my dad. She hasn't done that. Yeah. It seems and I she's will been say, a true believer. I might walk back and say that, because you know what? I never took into consideration that maybe the French would see, oh, she's a lot like Trump yes. and we don't want that. Yes. Who knows? I mean, but, even though she's gaining, she's gained on him, like you she said. Has. So at the very least, people are I like, grudgingly. It'll, it'll be a closer margin than this time. Last time he beat her by 30 percentage points. Wow. So I think it's going to be very closer a lot this time. Oh, stay tuned. Stay tuned. But we'll you see. guys hear the music? We'll have croissants on Monday. Oh, that'll be awesome. That'll be awesome. <laughs> Crog massage or grooves or whatever those things call. It's like with the ham and everything else in them. But look, I want to thank all of you guys for joining us. I want to thank our producer, our engineer. I want to thank my co-host, friend Franza. Thank I want to thank all of you for joining us. Can't have a show without you. Botlands, Thomas, Franzat, you guys have a phenomenally awesome day. And See you as in the always, may the good news be yours. Fault lines. <laughs>